Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive. Quite frankly, I get most of my news from you. Joan Esposito. Y'all ready for this? On WCPT 820. Thank you for joining me this Thursday, January 5th. Well, we have now taken eight, count them, eight votes to try to elect a new Speaker of the House of Representatives, and we do not have a winner. Hakeem Jeffries, 212, Kevin McCarthy, 201, and 20 other votes for others. One vote, including from Matt Gates for Donald Trump. So those are the numbers that we ended yesterday with. Every Democrat voting for the Democrat, Hakeem Jeffries, 201 Republicans, apparently staunchly in the camp of Kevin McCarthy, 20 staunchly opposed, one voting present, which basically is just taking themselves out of the mix. Last night, Kevin McCarthy sat down with the 20 holdouts. There was negotiating um, on an incredible scale. One of the things Mr. McCarthy had refused to agree to before, but supposedly agreed to last night, was agreeing to a rule that Congress would operate on under his tenure where one member of Congress could call a vote to replace the speaker. He just ticks one person off and the next day he's in a fight for his life. (sighs) Last night, Chip Roy who had been one of the holdouts, said on CNN that he thought that there were 10 of the 20 that could be persuaded with the right agreements. 10 of that 20 could be persuaded to vote for Kevin McCarthy. Now, if you are doing the math, that still does not get him. That would get him to 211. That would still be too many votes shy of winning. So what Kevin McCarthy would have to do is not only get 10 of the 20 holdouts to vote for him, he would pretty much have to get more than half of those who were left to agree to disappear, take themselves out of the chamber. Remember, the speaker has to get a majority of those present. So if you're if you're out of the chamber and you don't vote or if you're there and you just vote present and you don't vote one way or the other, you are taking you are taking yourself out of the mix and lowering the threshold for victory. Now, it's a very careful game. Kevin McCarthy would have to play (laughs) because if he gets those extra 10 votes that, as I said, brings him to 211. (laughs) Hakeem Jeffries has gotten 212 on every count. <laughs> I uh, I don't know. I don't know what the way forward is. Last night, um, he was accosted by... Uh, Kevin McCarthy was accosted by reporters in the hallway on um, the 11th hour with Lawrence McDonald. Lawrence O'Donnell, they took a lot of what Kevin said and they clipped it together because, uh, you know, I mean, the questions weren't surprising. The questions were the same questions that have been fired at him. 
You know, what are you going to do? Can you get the votes? What are you going to do if you don't get the votes? Um, this is what this is a little sort of edited comp sound compilation from MSNBC of what Kevin McCarthy said to reporters in the hallway last night. Right now, the Speaker of the House is a clerk appointed by Pelosi. That doesn't do benefits for anybody out here. So the sooner we all come together, just keep a calm head. I know you guys get excited. I don't I don't think if you watch me that I get excited by the that Do I want to go through all this? No. But I think at the end of the day, it's better to go through this now so we could be successful for this term. If you fail three times, how do you possibly pull this off? You get to 218. Is there any reason for Rio where you're backing out? No. Is there any reason for us? You guys ask me that same question a lot. So I'll let you know when that happens, okay? But it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. That's the line he's taking. He still believes that he can make it happen. There is talk, now that we've had eight votes, there's talk that um, those supporting Kevin McCarthy will try to get... Congress to adjourn till tomorrow, uh, give or maybe even Monday, give Kevin McCarthy more time to try to get this together. But either way, we are now tied in 1923. There were nine ballots before a speaker was elected. Still is not the record. That was set in 1855 in eight. Oh, God, let's hope we're not going there. In 1855, there were 133 ballots before Nathaniel Banks was finally voted in as Speaker of the House. But we are now tying the record, the previous record uh, from 1923 of nine ballots. The question is, will they adjourn? Because I don't know if you saw this last night, but remember, when I was on the air yesterday, they adjourned until 8 o'clock Eastern, 7 o'clock Chicago time. And what happened then? Kevin McCarthy knew that he didn't have the votes. He knew he didn't have the votes. So they made a move to adjourn again. And they barely got the votes to adjourn. There were two There was a two-vote majority that agreed to adjourn, and there were two Democrats missing from the chamber. Because the Democrats have said all along, you know, they're ready to govern, but they are not in this to help out the Republican Party with their dysfunction. So if those two Democrats, maybe they were sent home on purpose, I don't know. But um, the vote to adjourn was a nail-biter, and if... As is being predicted, Kevin McCarthy is going to try to get another adjournment right now after losing the eighth ballot. There's no guarantee. There is no guarantee that he will have the votes because some of the Republicans refused to adjourn. So it wasn't a strict party line vote. (sighs) Hakeem Jeffries made a statement Uh, You know, he did a press conference yesterday after all the uh, craziness. And one of the reporters there, I'm not including the question because it was off mic and it's really hard to hear. But one of the reporters asked him, bottom line, asked him if there was anything the Democrats could do 
to assist, like if there was a deal to be made or something the Democrats could or should be doing to try to break through this dysfunction? This is what Hakeem Jeffries had to say about that. We are looking for a willing partner to solve problems for the American people, not save the Republicans from their dysfunction. We need a partner in governance to build upon the incredible progress that we made for the American people over the last few years. By the way, with a similar majority. But under the great leadership of Speaker Pelosi, Democrats united, progressives, New Dems and Blue Dogs united. We accomplished extraordinary things on behalf of the American people. The American Rescue Plan. Save the economy from a deep recession. Shots in arms, money in pockets, kids back in school. Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act. Creating millions of good-paying jobs for the American people. Fixing our crumbling bridges, roads, tunnels, airports, our sewer and water systems, our mass transportation systems, and ensure high-speed Internet access in every single community. Gun safety legislation for the first time in 30 years that will save lives and make our neighborhoods safer. The Chips and Science Act to bring domestic manufacturing jobs back home to the United States of America and the Inflation Reduction Act to strike a decisive blow against the climate crisis, set our planet on a sustainable trajectory forward, lower energy costs, strengthen the Affordable Care Act, lower health care costs, and drive down the high price of life-saving prescription drugs for millions of Americans. And those are just the highlights of what Democrats did with a similar narrow majority. So we're ready to get to work to build upon those accomplishments if we can find a partner willing to govern on behalf of the American people. Yep, and that's the question, isn't it? By the way, there is a bunch of uh, local stuff going on. Uh, having to do with uh, Alderman Ray Lopez, Adam Kinzinger, Mayor Lori Lightfoot, um, and President Biden making some big announcements about immigration. Here's what we're going to do today. Um, at 3 o'clock, we're going to be joined by political science professor William Muck. But the first two hours, both just me alone and when uh, Professor Muck joins us, we're going to open up the phone lines. We are going to be talking about what is going on <sighs> or isn't going on in the House of Representatives and all the news of the day. I've got um, some personal family stuff I have to take care of tomorrow. I know Friday is usually our big day to open up the phone lines and just blow it out. We're going to do that today. I'm going to be uh, back after today. I'm going to be back on Monday um, uh, after I take care of some personal stuff tomorrow. So let's uh, let's take a break. And let's get to all of it right after this. Did you know you can text Joan at the same number you used to call us? 773-763-9278. Thanks to our texting sponsor, Camp Kupugani. Register today at multiculturalcamp.com. Text away. 773-763-9278. This is WCPT 820, where facts matter. This is Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. Well, looks like we're going to a ninth vote for speaker. No talk, at least so far, about adjourning 
Kevin McCarthy now being nominated by um, one of the members of the Freedom Caucus, Troy Nels, a Republican from Texas. Um, <laughs> you know, Kevin McCarthy has been trying to get different conservatives to nominate him each each round. Um, now we are going to a member of the Freedom Caucus, perhaps in hopes of swaying uh, the 20 people who have made their votes, uh, never Kevin votes. I don't know. Um, there didn't seem to be much time for horse trading in between the last vote and this one. So I would be mightily surprised if we get a different result. But hope springs eternal. <sighs> Let's go to the phone lines. Roosevelt is calling in. Hey, Roosevelt, how are you? Joel, thank you for taking my call. Appreciate it. Glad to have you here. Did you see the um, the video that Bovert put up, loaded up as far as uh, removing the uh, the uh, the detectors, the metal detectors? No, I did not. Okay, these people are children. They're still they're gloating on the fact that they got control of one part of our government, and starting with Bolvar. I suggest you look at it. It, it. You know, and that's just it. That gives you an inclination of where they're going with this. Isn't that one of the things that Trump wanted them not to take away was with the metal detectors? And this is going back to the same thing of the insurrection. Could this be part of another insurrection looking ahead of us? You know what I'm saying? Well, you know, it's interesting that you say that because I've done um, a small amount of reading about this. We can maybe talk to Professor Muck about this later. But the studies that I've seen on insurrection say that the single most predictive factor for an insurrection is an earlier insurrection. Like the first time it's done... The people who are disgruntled figure out, figure out where, where they went wrong and how to pull it off more effectively next time. The single most predictive factor in governments around the world for whether or not there will be a coup or an insurrection is whether or not there has just been an unsuccessful one. So, you know, you might not be wrong about that. Try and try again. But yeah. here's the thing, here's the thing too. So, He's caving into everything. And remember, back to the insurrection again, he came in on his own words and his own defense of our Constitution. Remember that he uh, talked against Trump, I believe it was on the same day uh, as the insurrection or the following day. I'm not sure of that. January 6th or 7th. uh, So then a week later, he went and kissed the ring of Trump. So he's. He's willing to do everything for the for the fact that he wants this so bad at any cost. He's putting everything, uh, including himself, including his 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 uh, defense of the Constitution. That's precisely my point. And um, and then when it comes down to Trump, he's still pulling, trying to pull the strings, and he's still failing because even Bolbert, by her own admission said that she got a call from Trump and saying, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, so she cut it out. I think he told her, cut, cut it out, you know, get, yeah. get, get in line behind Kevin. 
And, you know, and that's when she and when she had a chance later to speak publicly and she dissed him and she said, you know, the president should be delivering the opposite message instead of coming to us and telling us to get in line. He should be going to Kevin McCarthy and telling him, you know, to take his name out of consideration. I didn't see this, but Ray uh, saw a clip. Apparently, Lauren Boebert was on with Sean Hannity last night on Fox And he said they were really going at it. Like she was saying, you know, that, you know, Kevin McCarthy should um, should listen to the will of the people. And he was like, wait a minute. Isn't it you guys who should be listening to the will of the people since Kevin McCarthy uh, has, you know, all these all these over 200 votes and you guys have 20? Aren't you the ones who should be listening? And apparently they it was quite an exchange. No. You know, Joan, I did see that. I saw the whole thing last night, I believe, with uh, Hannity and her. But but basically, I agree with whoever said this earlier today on, on your station. And um, Fox News says nobody to blame but themselves. This reminds me again about COVID, because they follow whatever Trump said, and they're at fault from, from the casualties, part of the casualties of COVID. And what I mean is Hannity... Tucker and all those people on Fox News. Here we go again. They they've helped create uh, Taylor Greene and uh, mm-hmm. so they take no responsibility. Now they they're trying to control the monster they created, and that includes Trump because he basically said, "Follow me, and I'll, and I'll lead you to to uh, to what you guys want." But now they're not even listening to Trump or to Hannity or to Fox News. And remember, Fox News was ahead of the game when it came down to making. Uh, the right ideas, quote, right, I'm using the word, uh, <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, for, for their, for their, for their agenda, for, to, to complete their agenda. So, you know, to, to me, this is just, this is the, the Beatles, Helter Skelter, to me, that's what I see. Yeah. Um, Well, you know, I know I've said this before, but it's the only way I can describe it. The Republican Party is reaping what it has sown. I mean, the Republican Party has been so magaized, magaized that, you know, this is what happens. And they're losing elections because their candidates are too far right. And they are trying to course correct Not that Kevin McCarthy, by any stretch of the imagination, is a moderate Republican. I mean, he embraces all of the Trumpian MAGA ideals, but it's they are literally coming apart at the scenes. They have put these Lauren Boeberts, they have put these Matt Gates into office. They have created these monsters, and now they're being devoured by them. Yeah, and you know what else, Joan, briefly? The voters have to do with this, too. They don't. Nobody's mentioned that. Voters put these guys in, and things were going along pretty well when it came down to our nation. And now, how are these people? Here's the thing. No matter what happens, whether they put whoever, the next two years is not only going to be a clown car, like you said yesterday, but nothing's going to get done. Right. Exactly right. You're exactly right. They will be fighting amongst themselves for the next two years. They absolutely will. Uh, it's, it's going to be, it's, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be a stalemate. It's going to be chaos. It's going to be an ineffectual governing body. Um, anyway, Roosevelt, thank you so much for the call. We're getting close to a break. 
Roosevelt um, reminded me because he mentioned COVID. The um, Centers for Disease Control, you know how um, (laughs) this is kind of disgusting, but we learned during COVID that if we tested wastewater and could see if there was virus, COVID virus in the wastewater at the water treatment plants, that often that let us know there was going to be an uptick in COVID before the actual symptoms and before people got sick and before people went to the hospital. Well, the CDC is considering testing the wastewater at airports because a lot of this wastewater testing at airports and airlines has been done internationally. Coronavirus was found on 96% of the flights tested. There's no mask mandate. You don't have to wear a mask on a plane, but next time you get on an airplane, think about this. Of all the airplanes whose uh, wastewater was tested, 96 out of 100 had COVID virus. Speak to somebody who has just recovered from her third bout and who has decided <laughs> belatedly to, to get those maskies out again. Those those K95s are my friend. Sheesh. We are going to take a break. We have more callers who want to join our conversation. We are going to get to those calls. Um, Adam Kinzinger. Um yeah, he's not going to be in Congress anymore, but you're going to see him. He's going to be a, a senior political consultant for CNN. How about that? Kinzinger on CNN. He said it's a way, basically, he was pretty candid. He basically said it's a way to kind of keep his profile up there until he decides whether or not to jump back into politics. All that and much more right after this. Podcasts of Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive, are available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and SoundCloud. Just search WCPT 820. This is WCPT 820, where you can hear the Stephanie Miller Show every weekday, 8 to 11 a.m., because facts matter. This is Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. We are on our way to a ninth vote to try to elect a Speaker of the House of Representatives. Eight votes so far in each of those eight votes. Hakeem Jeffries has gotten every Democrat, every Democrat present, every Democrat voting for him, 212 votes. Kevin McCarthy uh, started a little bit above this. He's down to 201. One of his uh, voters switched to no Kevin. One of his voters switched to is now voting present. Uh, 201. Chip Roy, a a Republican from uh, Texas who had been, has been, maybe continues to be, uh, no on Kevin McCarthy, said last night that he felt that it was possible Kevin could find a way to get 10 of those no votes over to his side. He thought 10 was possible. Still puts Kevin McCarthy short of what he needs to win. He would also have to get the more radical haters to either leave the chambers or vote present. Something that, at least as of right now, 
the agents of chaos do not seem interested and or willing to do. Um, But those 10 that potentially Chip Roy said could go to Kevin McCarthy on this first vote today did not. 212 for Hakeem Jeffries, 201, Kevin McCarthy, 20 votes against Kevin McCarthy, one vote present. So we are now nominating those people who uh, are going to get voted on. Though you can vote for somebody without them being nominated. In the eighth round, Matt Gates stood up and voted for a Donald Trump. The only vote Donald Trump has gotten. But what the heck? So we're keeping an eye on this and um, bringing you all the news of the day. We have opened up the phone lines. We're going to talk for the first couple of hours in the Three o'clock hour, we're going to be joined by political science professor William Muck, uh, and he and I are going to weigh in on what's going on here and the rest of the news of the day, the rest of the news of the week. Let's go back to the phone lines. Bobby's calling in from Indiana. What is going on in Indiana today, Bob? Well, here's another nice mess the Republicans have gotten us into. <laughs> A little <laughs> Laurel and Hardy. I love it. Yes. <laughs> they are they are uh, too much Laurel and Hardy, and they are not good at it. Right. But, but you know, you just had our Chicago uh, President Roosevelt on the line with you, and I would be happy to nominate him. He's got <laughs> his head screwed on properly, at least. Yeah. yeah. But- Somebody on the on um, on Twitter, I think, nominated their cat today. Um, that oh their gosh, cat would oh make my. a really good Speaker of the House. Well, uh, well, I think this is a really interesting quandary they're in because even if Kevin McCarthy gets those other 10 votes that Chip Roy said he thought he could win over from the 20 reluctant ones, even if the rest of the people who hate his guts leave the chambers, Hakeem Jeffries is going to be the next Speaker because that would make it 212 to 211. I don't well, know. I, uh, I, 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 I called my congressman earlier, and uh, this, before this latest uh, eighth fiasco, and I said, uh, if uh, McCarthy doesn't make it by the end of today, I, I would twist the rules because in all of these votes, Jeffries has gotten a steady, what is it, 212? Yep. Every Democrat present, every Democrat voting for him. Yeah, I would say, well, rules be damned. He's had three days. Give it to Jeffries by default. (laughs) If only we could. If only we could end it. I know, I know, I know, I know. But by golly, it's getting to the point that I I, I think it's already gotten past ridiculous and if we do yeah. that thing like they did in the 1850s with 100 what 130 something 133 votes before nathaniel banks was elected speaker in 1855 yeah well i'll i'll be long long dead by that time and and the way it's going i'm not too sure that i'll be upset either but uh good goodness gracious well that, that's as close to the language I'd like to use right now as goodness gracious. Yes. And, uh, well, it's going to be really interesting. If Kevin McCarthy goes down 
in this ninth ballot. I'm sure that he and his supporters are going to try to get these proceedings adjourned so that they have more time to try to make deals. But, you know, I don't know if you were watching last night when uh, the Republicans, after they reconvened at uh, 7 o'clock Chicago time, they immediately made a motion to adjourn, and it's literally squeaked by. There's Because some of the Republicans who hate McCarthy, they don't want to adjourn because they know that if they keep making him go through these votes and he keeps losing that eventually he is, their feeling is, he is weaker than they are. He will blink before they blink. And that maybe his supporters will start talking to him behind the scenes and saying, Kevin, it's, we're really sorry. We stood with you the whole way. This is untenable. We all look ridiculous. This is not doing any of us any good. Um, whereas, you know, some of us are going to be coming up for re-election and we look like buffoons. Kevin, you've got to step aside and we've got to find a viable candidate. That's what the people who hate Kevin are hoping for. So they are going to be joining with the Democrats um, to try to not adjourn. It's just a mess. Well, that's the yeah. And the Democrats and also the fact that uh, I don't know if Stephanie Miller is going to let him adjourn in her game. So, uh, <laughs> there's a lot. Uh, he's uh facing a lot of headwinds, and uh, it couldn't happen to a nicer guy. And uh, I'm going to let you go. And uh, <laughs> Thanks, Bobby. What goes good tomorrow. Bye-bye. Thanks so much. Thanks. Very appreciate that. Um, as Bobby said, I'm taking a personal day tomorrow. I will be back on Monday. Let's go back to the phone lines. Ron is calling in from Chicago. Hey, Ron. Thanks for calling and joining the show today. Yes. Uh, who do the... Uh Anti-McCarthy Republicans want to be Speaker. Uh, you know, every day is different. Uh, do they have plans for Trump being the Speaker? Well, you know, it it seems, it seems to me, and I've been trying to listen to all of the Washington insiders and read about what they're writing. It seems that they don't, they're not in favor of a certain candidate. They are simply against Kevin McCarthy. It's almost as if their position is anybody but Kevin, anybody but Kevin, which I don't really understand because even Matt Gates yesterday when he did, when he got up to nominate Jim Jordan, he said that he was nominating Jim Jordan because Jim Jordan didn't want the job and he couldn't sign on to the Kevin McCarthy camp because Kevin McCarthy um, wanted the job too badly and was giving everybody everything they wanted. And you'd think to yourself, Matt, isn't that what you want? Don't you want a speaker who, if you say, I want this, says, yeah, sure, Matt, I'll give you that. Give me your vote. It doesn't, it was, it was a very, it's a, been a very strange few days. And what if, uh, Hakeem Jeffries becomes a speaker? What would happen to the, uh, all the, uh, investigations that Republicans have planned. Well, we would have to do a deep dive into that, but my understanding is the Speaker is the one who weighs in on things like who is on which committees, who heads which committees. There is a tremendous amount of power that goes with being the Speaker. Now, having said that, there, there are, after they take the vote for speaker and we elect a speaker, 
the next vote that takes place in the House of Representatives is a vote on the rules under which they will operate. Nancy Pelosi and all the speakers before her, Republican and Democrat alike, they limited the power of any individual congressperson or even a small group of congresspeople to disrupt the system. Kevin McCarthy probably won't be able to hold to that standard if he's making all these deals. For instance, as I said at the top of the show, um, Kevin McCarthy said that he would agree to a rule where if there were five Congress people who didn't like what he was doing, they could call a vote for a new speaker. Now, apparently as of last night, he is willing to make a rule where one congressperson, any single congressperson, can get up and demand a vote for a new speaker. So even if Kevin McCarthy wins this, he will not have the same kind of power. He won't wield the same kind of power that Nancy Pelosi and her predecessors have wielded because in changing the rules and making everything more open, he is giving more power to individual voices, which is essentially his power as speaker that he's giving away. (sighs) Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate the call, Ron. Uh, let's. We have a lot more callers to get to. Let's take a break and uh, get to it right after this. You're listening to WCPT 820 because facts matter. This is Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. We are still in the nominating phase that is going to precede the ninth round of voting to try to elect a new Speaker of the House. Uh, Lauren Boebert has been um, nominating Oklahoma's Kevin Hearn. Uh, we've gotten Byron Douglas from Florida. Matt, uh, I think Matt Gates is back to supporting him, though he briefly voted for Donald Trump. Kevin McCarthy and Hakeem Jeffries, of course, also going to be um, have their names. Um, so we shall see. We're keeping an eye on this. We will uh, continue to monitor this. We are going to spend the first couple hours of the show today talking about the news of the day, taking calls and uh, and talking to you. A couple of interesting local notes real quick before we move on. Uh, Crane's Chicago Business uh, published a poll out recently. Chicago's mayoral election showed Mayor Lori Lightfoot is in fourth place right now. They're going to do another poll uh, the beginning of February to see if things have shifted. But right now, uh, Chewy Garcia and Brandon Johnson are tied with 25 percent support. Uh, Paul Vallis, I believe, has um, 14 or 15 percent, 14 percent. And Lori Lightfoot showed up with 11 percent. So uh, we'll keep an eye on that today. Ray Lopez, Alderman Ray Lopez, who many thought would end up endorsing Paul Vallis, has today endorsed Willie Wilson, um, who did not show up in the top five for this poll. But it's um, there's so much going on. <laughs> there is so much going on. Uh, let's go back to the phone line. Steve's calling in from the Gold Coast. Hello, Steve. How are you? Yes, uh, well, I think that this demonstrates that Americans really aren't interested in seeing how the sausage gets made. 
because you, you've got a number of things going on. And I think it's interesting that you know you, you have both Democrats and Republicans being taken to task because the camera is now panning all over the chamber. And you're seeing people talking with one another. And God forbid that in our constitutional republic, you know, people on opposite sides of the aisle actually talked in order to try and get yeah. things done. No, the coverage, uh, yeah. the video coverage has been awesome. Right. Well, and that is only taking place. So for people who don't understand it, that's that's the C-SPAN camera. And uh, when Congress is in session and we actually have a speaker, there are rules. And that's yep. why you don't you don't get it's, it's that center shot unless you're speaking. And yep. they're just not they're not allowed to simply pan anywhere. But now they're able to pan anywhere because there's no governing because body. there's nobody in charge. Yeah. When the Speaker right. of the House comes in, they generally order C-SPAN to lock into two shots. There's a right. wide shot that they're sometimes allowed to go to that shows the dais and um, a tight shot of whomever is speaking. Supposedly, the reason that the speakers of the House do that is because either members not being present or often committees, lots of times members are making fiery speeches. And uh, if the camera pulled back, it would show that there was literally nobody there listening to them. And they don't want yeah. that kind of embarrassment. So now we're a C -sp it's like C-SPAN run wild. <laughs> exactly. And then people have to answer to their constituents and everyone else wants to know why in heaven's name are you talking to people on the other side of the aisle? Yeah, this is Washington. That occasionally has to happen in order to get yeah. them passed. But yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the, among the things that they want, uh, you know, the, the Lauren Boberts and the crazies uh, on her side of the aisle, uh, you know, they want less involvement from the RNC. I'm not sure how Kevin McCarthy is empowered to, to make such a promise to her in terms of the nominating process and how we get people, how they elect people. You know, they want the, the RNC to sort of have a hands-off approach. Uh, that's among their demands, so, uh, which, which obviously makes sense to them because they want to not get as many lunatic fringe candidates mm -hmm. nominated, uh, you know, as opposed to the Republican Party that will say, you know what, well, these are the people we're willing to put money behind and support politically and so forth, as opposed to their free-for-all system, uh, you know, because the Republican Party, uh, the, the loons like the Lauren Boberts and Marjorie Taylor Greens, uh, they don't want the, the same main, mainstream old-style Republican Party to, to take hold again. Uh, they, they want their free-for-all style Republican Party. Yeah, yeah, so anarchy. That's a, that's a, exactly. That's among the things that they want. I mean, they know, they know they're, they're not going anywhere in terms of their few, uh, you know, couple of less than a couple dozen votes. Um, I, I, I don't see what their end game is, what they're trying to accomplish, other than, you know, the, it, it, this, this Freedom Caucus has been around in a number of incarnations for about 15 years now. And, uh, you know, they're just there. And they don't have any real power, but because they represent a significant base in the Republican Party, they've actually managed to wield a good deal of influence as far as what, what agenda the Republican Party has. But beyond that, I mean, I don't know what they want any longer. It's just they hadn't gotten the message after 2018, 2020, 2022. Uh, the American people are done with this, you know, largely. Yeah, the, a few of them are still going to get elected, but by and large, that's why I think that's why I think, Steve, there's every possibility that Kevin McCarthy's support will erode because I think that they see how ridiculous this looks. They see how they are losing authority. And and I think that there are a lot of people sitting in this chamber who think next time I come up for reelection, I'm going to have to answer to this and I'm going to get 
grief about this and I don't want this to go on anymore. And see, I think the Matt Gates and the Lauren Boberts, they don't care. They really are like anarchists. So I think that means that they will hold out longer than the than the more moderate Republicans who are supporting McCarthy. I think at some point McCarthy supporters are going to come to him and say, this is now hurting all of us. This is now hurting the party. We're really sorry. We think you would make a great speaker, but we've got to find somebody else. And, and if I may, this last point, it, part of this, you know, in order to come up with a resolution, it works on the honor system because you would have to get some uh, X number of people on either side of the party to, to walk out and therefore mm-hmm. not be considered part of uh, part of the body at that point. And then the remaining members would be allowed to vote. Now, if you make this sort of deal and then all of a sudden X number of people pop back in, sort of, you know, having uh, done a fast one, then you you could actually get a Democrat as the speaker if you exactly get by the honor system because that mm-hmm. I mean, there's nobody there who's keeping you from re-entering the chambers when you promise to leave. So I mean, this is all based on the honor system, and I don't think anybody trusts the other side not to jump in. And if, if Republicans actually let that happen, where you know a few Democrats crept back in and cast votes, and they got a Democratic speaker. I mean, they would never be forgiven by their base. So, I mean, you know, this is this is all part of this crazy system we have. Uh, it is. It's yeah. absolutely insane. And that's why Kevin McCarthy's in such a tough spot, because, you know, even if he gets half of those who are opposed to him now to vote for him, that still puts him votes short of a majority. And if, as you said, even if it, even if the people, the Matt Gates and the Lauren Boberts are somehow uh, told to either vote present or or decide that they're they've had enough and they just go home for the night. Hakeem Jeffries has every chance of winning this. Yeah, and the other thing is, if the assuming that he wins, that McCarthy wins, and then you have this strange rule whereby you know one congressperson just one, mm-hmm. and you one. know that's going to happen every damn week. Right. Exactly every week because we're going to essentially devolve into a parliamentary system in which we dissolve government in the House every week, and then we have to mm-hmm. reestablish it, and nothing will get done. And I mean, I'm not saying the Democrats won't do it. If you announce some crazy investigation into Hunter Biden, the laptop, or some craziness like that, so don't be a Democrat who's going to say, all right, I, I call for a vote, you know. Yeah, I mean, why not? It's, yeah, exactly. Why not? I mean, they're, they're, this is just going to open up a, a, a terrible precedent, and, you know, I don't, I don't know what happens after that, but... Uh, Again, I, I, this is this is the gift that keeps on giving from Donald Trump, twenty sixteen, mm-hmm. the chaos that he has created and it's, it continues to exist. I'm hoping by twenty twenty four we can reestablish sanity and the adults can take charge again. It wasn't perfect when we had the old style Democrat and Republican parties. Uh, it certainly uh, one could take issue with that two party system, but at least it was functional. Again, the adults ran the show. This is just crazy, and you know if you handicap government. It really, it really will hurt you in the long run. But uh, I am happy that Democrats are out there. We're, while they're doing this, we're out there demonstrating to people that, you know what, uh, that money that was allocated to do things like build infrastructure, guess what? We're, we're starting those projects because you yep. don't understand that you, know, you pass that, but then, you know, it doesn't, it's not as if a, a bridge 
or uh, buy it after something is... T- is, is well, speaking of which, Steve, did you see the video yesterday? Joe Biden and Mitch McConnell shaking hands in Kentucky at a bridge that was about to be rebuilt? What a contrast. Don't you think Mitch McConnell, obviously he's there because it's Kentucky and he's very um, proud of it and wants people to know there are good things are happening in his state, even if he may have been obstructionist, but... I think there was a second message. Look at us. Look at look at us who are on opposite sides of the aisle getting the work of government done. And now look at Kevin McCarthy and the and and the anarchists in his party. Right. Right. You can be on opposite sides of the aisle, but we can still govern and we can have some middle ground, some common ground of agreement. And we can try and get things done for this country because there are issues like infrastructure. I mean, I don't know who it is out there who thinks that America doesn't need to invest in its infrastructure for its long term economic viability. Um, You know, but for the most part, everybody wants that piece of the, the pie in order that we, again, can move our country forward in terms of 21st century economics. Yep. (laughs) You know, we are definitely seeing how the sausage is made. I, for I, for one, um, I know I, I, I shouldn't I shouldn't be enjoying it as much as I am. But I just feel like we've put up with the nonsense and the obstructionist activity from this party for so long. And now they are turning that energy on each other. And, you know, now we're like the Democrats are just like sitting on the sidelines with their hands and they are going, what? Huh? Excuse me? What happens whenever whenever you have a sort of radical movement, sooner or later, then then you start to accuse one another of being counter-revolutionaries, of not being loyal enough. It happened in terms of the Nazis in the 1930s where they had to purge part of their own party because they weren't, they, they weren't loyal enough in their eyes. And the same thing happened in, in the Soviet Union, in China. I mean, whenever you have movements, either on the right or the left, that are extremists, that you, you always get people who are accused of not being loyal enough. And, and they turned on themselves. They created a monster, and, and instead of the adults being in charge, the crazies were in charge. Well, now you have to live with that. The Frankenstein yep. monster. You and so they are. Steve, thank you so much for the call. I really appreciate it. Um, let's go back to the phone lines. Dave is calling in from Hoffman Estates. Hi, Dave. How are you today? Hey, Joan. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, too. Got two quick things. Um, when I was coming in from the store and I was listening when you and Rosa talked about that, um, you know, like with these dates and stuff and that, that one professor or whatever said how the next group either tries to outdo the, uh, the last one on, you know, certain uh, attacks or whatever and, yeah, but thinking, you know, that, like that uh, Murrah Federal building that time, McVeigh blew that up uh, on the anniversary of Waco, or, and the towers that time in 93 under Clinton when they went to the downstairs part and bombed it, thinking they were going to do. And then, I, obviously, as we know, on on the 11th, uh, that uh, they did it one better with that flying the planes, and, the, and then... And then I, earlier in the week, I mentioned the patty. As we know, tomorrow's going to be a two-year anniversary of the insurrection. Yep. And, uh, you know, I don't know if, you know, hopefully we've got our people on alert, <laughs> you know, the, let's, just in case. Let's, uh, let's hope so. Let's hope that with the arrests and the trials that have been ongoing for uh, what happened two years ago, 
and uh, people being distracted by what's going on in the House of Representatives. Let's let's hope tomorrow passes very quietly, shall we? Yeah, I think they got one of the Proud Boys on trial right now, too. Yeah. So, um, um, but what I was going to call, too, did you see the story yesterday where the right kind of lost their minds about the fact where uh, where Pete Buttigieg took his husband, and I guess they used the military plane, and they went to the Netherlands, you know, for the Invictus Games. I believe Buttigieg was invited and whatever. But they were so upset of the fact that, you know, he went without paying for this, you know. And, and they're still trying to, like, lay the blame on him for that Southwest. <laughs> in his thing, that, they still should be getting on the CEO of Southwest and that, and then have him upgrade their IT stuff. But but they didn't seem to get too upset under Trump's rule that time when Treasury Secretary Stephen Mnuchin and his wife, Louise Linton, used an Air Force C-37 multiple pen that costed like $25,000 per hour to fly to Europe or the time yeah. they used it yeah. to go see the solar eclipse or yep. got through it. And then when the, remember when she posed when they went to um, a mint and she posed with newly printed money with her like elbow high black leather gloves? Oh, my God. Well, yeah, let's not. A half a million dollars around that time when when um, the son-in-law, too, got the uh, or whatever, that yeah. they never Yeah, never the worst of the Biden administration, the worst of the Biden administration on their worst day is head and shoulders better than uh, the best of the Trump administration on its best day, in my humble opinion. Dave, we've got a break for news. Thank you so much for All the right. call. We are going to continue to take calls for the next hour. And in the next hour, I'm also going to be joined by a political science professor, William Muck. The uh, ninth vote is continuing, is going on as we speak. And Kevin McCarthy has already lost enough votes that he can't win. So there you go. We'll be back with more after this. Take Jonas Pazito, live, local, and progressive, with you on the go by using the TuneIn app on your phone. Just search for WCPT 820. You're the only voice of reason on the radio. You give me hope. Having listened to you every day. Thank you for your clear insight. Always felt a little bit smarter. I listen to you every single day. I keep coming back to this station, and thank you for what you do. On WCPT 820, Chicago's progressive talk. Jonas Pazito, live, local, and progressive. The reason that I listen to you from the infamous other side, you will call a spade a spade, and if it's indefensible, you will not defend it. And you know what? I can respect that. On WCPT 820. In the House of Representatives as we speak, the ninth vote to try to elect a speaker is taking place. Uh, Hakeem Jeffries on his way to garnering all the Democrats yet again for another 212 total. He hasn't gotten there yet. I'm making a prediction. Kevin McCarthy will not be elected speaker on the ninth ballot. He has already lost 11 votes. And uh, on a good day, he had four to lose. I am joined now by political science professor William Muck. He is a political science professor at North Central College in Naperville. He also co-hosts a podcast called Politics Lab. Oh, William, what a day for you to be here. Happy New Year, Joan. I mean, the, the politics, it doesn't Year. slow down. <laughs> you know, um, 
I have to say, I'm a little bit surprised. I was telling people that the hardliners would embarrass Kevin McCarthy. They would punish him maybe on the first vote, maybe on the first two votes. They wouldn't elect him. And then, you know, they would just go ahead and get him named speaker since, by all accounts, he has promised them committee assignments, chairmanships, lacks rules for how Congress is going to run. Why wouldn't they vote for him after they have a chance to humiliate him? But I was wrong. I am dumbfounded by what I am seeing take place in Congress. What is your reaction? Did you think this would happen? I didn't think it would last as long as it did, but it did, but it's really revealing, right? So the, this group of 20, this, you know, segment of the Freedom Caucus, it shows what they're really about. And, and to your point, this is not about committee assignments. It's not about taking all the power away from Kevin McCarthy. It is performative. What they are doing is, is basically what we've seen out of the Republican Party over, I mean, in some ways going all the way back to 1994 with Newt Gingrich, but, but they are sort of this most extreme version of this where nothing is about good governance. It's not about legislating. It's not about being responsible, uh, you know, legislators. It is really about performance and that's what they are doing. And so I don't think there's anything Kevin McCarthy or the party as a whole can offer them that is going to satiate them, right? They are absolutely loving that they're in the limelight and they're able to continue to sort of be this extreme version of the Republican Party. So I, I am shocked, but it is very revealing about where where the heart of the Republican Party is right now. I don't know that the Republican Party has a heart. I, I think that they're, that they, any heart that they might have had was cut out of the body and thrown off to the side of the road quite some time ago. I, I, I you know, I'm starting, God help me, I'm almost starting to feel sorry for Kevin <laughs> McCarthy. And I don't like Kevin McCarthy. I think he is the worst sort of politician. He is, only out for power. He is only out for himself. And you can say the same for Mitch McConnell, but you can't say that Mitch McConnell is stupid. Mitch McConnell is strategic. He is brilliantly strategic at making a lot with a, with a little bit. Kevin McCarthy is every bit as power hungry and not nearly as, as bright. I mean, when Matt Gates yesterday said, we shouldn't vote for Kevin McCarthy because he has sold his soul in an effort to be speaker. We don't want to vote for somebody who's going to give us everything we want because that's not a person we can respect. So and now today, Lauren Boebert is is also complaining about McCarthy because she said in last night's closed door meeting, the 20, they were threatened. They were threatened that when Kevin is speaker, they're not going to get the committee assignments they want. So they don't want to be catered to and they don't want to be threatened. So I ask you, what do they want? You know, I, I don't know. Again, I don't know what specifically they want, but I think what's sort of interesting about this is it shows how weak the party as a whole is because, you know, the reality is that a majority, you know, what 200 of the Republicans want Kevin McCarthy. And so it's this, it's this tiny minority that is able to hold them up and it shows 
the extent to which the party doesn't stand for anything anymore. And I, I think we can go all the way back to the you know 2020 presidential race when the party had a chance to establish a platform. And Donald Trump said, we're not going to have a, a party platform. We're not going to put ideas on paper to say this is who we are. And when you when you do that, you pull all sorts of power away from the party itself. And so right now, the Republican Party is a very, very weak political party. So it enables these more extremist and in some ways, I would say nihilist voices, because I don't think they want anything. I mean, what does you know, what does Matt Gates really want? What is his ideology other than sort of this politics of vengeance? I, there's really nothing there other than this sort of anti-government perspective. And so when your political party becomes so weak, you can't manage these extreme voices. You, know, you can think about other times in the U.S. history when if somebody would have behaved like this, the party as a whole would have censored them. They would have prevented them mm-hmm, from exactly. you know, any type of positions of power. And, and so now the Republican Party is so weak and the leadership has so little power that that you allow these more nihilist and, again, anti-government voices to really take control. And in some ways, you know, they are behaving, uh, you know, they talk about hostage takers. They have the Republican Party and they are just embarrassing Kevin McCarthy round after round, you know, you know, a speaker has not been elected. It's just got to be the worst words that Kevin McCarthy keeps hearing every day. And, you know, maybe I should, we you know, maybe we should take a commercial break because I also want to get into a discussion about Donald Trump. You know, the Tea Party existed before Donald Trump. Um, and and some of in, in, in recent times, some of the people who didn't get his endorsements in the midterms were saying, well, you know, MAGA is, is now not just Donald Trump. It's bigger than Donald Trump. And, it, you know, Donald Trump is no longer important to the to the issue. I I really want to spend some time. We are um, Professor William Muck and I are till, still talking about what's going on today in the House of Representatives currently involved in their ninth vote for Speaker of the House. Uh, Kevin McCarthy has already lost it. So uh, we have tied. Let's see. It took nine votes in 1923. We have not tied the record in 1855. There were 133 votes before Nathaniel Banks was elected speaker. We're not there yet. We're somewhere. Well, we're breaking records in uh, as of today. We're going to continue to take your calls, 773-763-9278. And we're going to be talking about the Republicans, the House of Representatives, Donald Trump, and everything else going on in the world right after this. Stay on top of the latest news in and around Chicago with Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive. Every weekday afternoon from 2 to 5 p.m. on WCPT 820. Hi, this is Patty Vasquez. I am honored to have hosted Driving It Home for the last year. But it seems like we never have enough time to talk. And since I've been doing the traffic reports, I realize how long it actually takes to drive it home. So as we head into the holiday season, I want to spend more time with you. And we've decided to add an hour to the show every day. Thanks to my sponsors, Kids Above All, European and U.S. Auto Body, and Monaco Brewing for making this all possible. And, of course, my WCPT family. And I couldn't do this without you. So tune in every day, 5 to 7 p.m., Monday through Friday. Chicago's Progressive Talk, WCPT 820, where facts matter. This is Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. I am joined by Professor William Muck. He teaches political science 
at North Central College in Naperville. He co-hosts a podcast called Politics Lab. Um, we have been talking about what is going on in the House of Representatives, where Kevin McCarthy is. Um, let's see, are they finished with the vote? Has he finished losing or is he still in the process of losing his uh, attempt to be speaker? We're on the ninth ballot. Oh, no, he's still losing. <laughs> he's losing in real time as we're talking. And I want to talk about Donald Trump, Lauren Boebert, who has been really kind of speaking out of school. You know, t- earlier today, she talked about some things from the closed door meeting last night. Yesterday, she talked publicly about getting a phone call from Donald Trump, who told her, you know, come on, cut it out, get in line, vote for Kevin. And she not only recounted that call publicly, but she said, you know what, Mr. President, you should be going to Kevin McCarthy and telling him to step back, not saying that to us. What do you see with Donald Trump right now as as a as a part of the Republican Party, as any kind of political force? What where do you see him right now? It's a really fascinating moment because I think what we're witnessing right now is Trumpism without Trump. Because, you know, we've watched over the last, I don't know, four or five, six years, Donald Trump has held politicians in fear. And it was he who dictated all of these things. And now we've witnessed his weakening, right? So he's still a, he's still an important voice, but nobody's afraid of him anymore. And so what we're seeing here is Boebert and Gates and all these others, they are embracing Trumpism. You know, they are, they are demonizing the other. It just now happens to be that they're demonizing the Republican Party instead of the Democratic Party. But Trump himself can't even stop this, right? So so this this sort of dynamic that he spread and infused across the political system is still there, even though he is no longer the sort of preeminent voice in it. It's sort of fascinating to watch. And I think we're likely to see Trumpism stick around a lot longer than Donald Trump himself. So, you know, it's sort of revealing, again, where this party's at. I feel sort of like he created a monster that turned around and ate him. A hundred percent. Right. And I think we also have to think about that the Republican Party and especially the leadership, Kevin McCarthy, he went along with this game. Right. They were all mm-hmm. afraid of what Donald Trump would do to them. And one of the things we know in like the political science literature is that the only way to prevent populist demagogues from getting power is powerful political parties. That's really the only mechanism. Voters, we will vote for populist demagogues. And so you need these parties to control and prevent them from rising. And so when the Republican Party enabled this, or at least once it happened and didn't stand up against him, you knew that this was something that was just going to linger. And, and again, now it's eating itself. Yeah. Um, do you think, you know, he has he has been down and out before and he has made big comebacks. Can he do it again? You know, this is this is the million dollar question. And I think it's a really interesting one. And I think we probably won't know until we get to the primary season. Um, you know, the, the, in some ways, the math is in favor of Donald Trump because he doesn't need to go in and win 50 or 60 percent of each date. If he hums along, it's 20, 25, 30 percent. He, he is going to be difficult uh, to defeat. Right. So but there's so much that's going to happen between now and then. Uh, I mean, Ron DeSantis and all these other actors are going to get involved. We've got all sorts of legal proceedings. 
hearings and, you know, the January 6th, uh, Jack Smith weighing in on the uh, on the document case. So I think there's more history to happen between now and the primary season. But if, if it were to start today, I still think he's probably in a really strong position because, uh, again, he doesn't need to dominate. He just needs to maintain that 25 percent. And over the long haul, he becomes a difficult candidate to beat. But now if he gets indicted, you know, I mean, if charges are brought, all of these things could change that calculus. I think I got a little too involved in this uh, discussion and I forgot to take a commercial break. Uh, Professor William Muck and I are going to take your calls when we come right back after this. Listen to the Tom Hartman radio program every weekday from 11 to 2 right here on WCPT 820, where facts matter. Attention, everyone. Don't turn that dial. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive, returns right now on WCPT 820. Professor William Muck, he's a political science professor at North Central College in Naperville. He and I are talking about the Republican Party and what is going on right now at the House of Representatives as we are in, well, we're, we're not, we're getting close to the end of the roll call for the ninth vote to try to elect a Speaker of the House. Um, Kevin McCarthy doesn't have enough votes. I'm sure Hakeem Jeffries uh, is going to get the same number of votes he's gotten every other time we've taken this vote, which is 212. And then there are usually uh, 20 Republicans who are running amok, either voting for straw candidates who have no choice or protest votes for Donald Trump or whatever. Um, we have been talking about the party, its disarray, Donald Trump's seemingly loss of control. Um, I do want to go to the phone lines. We've had some people who are patiently waiting to join our discussion. Jim is calling in from Chicago. Hey, Jim, you're on with me and Professor William Muck. Professor and Joan, good afternoon. What has me concerned is this confidence vote. How many speakers have been kicked out because of a, they didn't have any confidence in the speaker? And by weakening that, you could see the ramifications of that. In other words, if somebody's vindictive toward the speaker, they could stop the proceedings and, and put, put an objection in. And it just seems like the party leader, you're shooting them in the foot because you're trying to get something done. But waking in that position, I don't think is a good idea anyway, Professor. I can't remember anybody, any House speaker that's been uh, kicked off because of confidence. Anyway, thanks for thanks for thanks. Thank you. Thank yes, you. thank you, Jim, for that call. And you know, if Kevin McCarthy by some miracle gets elected and he has agreed to this one person, one objection to his continuing on as speaker, I mean, we are going to look a lot like parliament, you know, I, I, the hand, I, we can't wait for the hand waving and the screaming. <laughs> It's it's ridiculous, right? When you think about, so, you know, they talked about, well, was it going to be five or was it going to be one member? Was Kevin McCarthy willing to allow one member of the Republican Party to, to vacate uh, the speaker role? I mean, with Nancy Pelosi, it was 50. And I think that makes a really, really important comparison to the way in which Nancy Pelosi ran and organized the House as speaker versus what we're looking at right now. And and I think as history comes, we'll, we'll start to reflect on the how effective Nancy Pelosi 
really was. I mean, she had tight margins as well. Yet you never saw this sort of infighting. No. I mean, obviously there no. were different perspectives, and the Democratic Party is a Big Ten party. But boy, she ran a really tight ship. Was able to get legislation through, um, and and you don't really realize that till you see another party come along and have such a difficult time doing it. You know, I was um, a couple of weeks ago. We were talking about something that was moving through Congress, and. I referenced, you know, from Schoolhouse Rock, I'm a bill, I'm a bill, you know, where you can, for for those of us without your depth of knowledge, we can figure out what the procedure is. Is there a, you know, is there an easy way? Maybe you could sing a little song to explain to me um, how the procedure goes from here. Do we just do, does the House just keep voting until, until what? Yeah, that's exactly right. Nothing else can happen until the speaker is elected. Now, I think at some point it will happen. And I, I think largely because the Republican Party, those, the majority that is, is voting for Kevin McCarthy at some point will have to make a decision. You know, do they want to enable the more extremist voices? But, but if they do so, right? I mean, that also means that everything else that comes, you're going to allow these, these again, streamix voices to be driving the process, right? So, so when it comes to the, you know, raising the debt uh, ceiling or or budgets or anything like that, um, suddenly those voices are going to be dominating the process. And it's sort of scary to think about the implications of all of that, because at some point, you know, government is more than just performative. They have to pass budgets. You have to raise the debt ceiling if you're going to be a serious legislator. And and so what is in some ways it's, it's entertaining to watch the party struggle right now. But what happens down the road when there are real things that have to get done? And 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 again, Laura Boebert or uh, uh, Matt Gates are able to derail the process like that's when it really starts to matter. Somebody that I read in the Washington Post said, you know, you think what you're seeing is bad right now. Wait till the House starts debating raising the debt ceiling. And their feeling was that this was a, a preview of what was going to happen and what was going to happen for that discussion would be even crazier and wilder and more chaotic. Do you agree? Absolutely right. I mean, thinking about this question of whether whether the Congress would let the uh, the government default, uh, and I think even you know Democrats and Republicans in general would say that's a terrible thing because it's bad for the economy, it's bad for the U.S. international reputation. I mean, there are all sorts of really really dangerous things if the government were to default. But would somebody in this caucus of twenty would they really care? And I'm not so sure because I think the point of what they're doing is this deep nihilistic view of of government really is the problem. So it's not just, this is not like sort of more traditional conservatives. This isn't Margaret Thatcher or Ronald Reagan, where it's about shrinking the government, you know, Mm -hmm. to say that it should be more of a a night watchman. This is sort of a Steve Bannon, we need to destroy the government. And, and again, it's, it's, it's completely irresponsible. And, and we're going to have tests coming pretty quickly where we're going to see whether the Republican party can control these voices. So absolutely. I'm, I'm, I'm more worried about what comes next compared to what we're watching play out right now. I think that what the Matt Gateses and the Lauren Boberts and the real, real never Kevin hardliners, I think that their mission is twofold. Not only do they want to derail Kevin McCarthy, but I also suspect they're trying to send a message to whomever becomes speaker after this. You know, you ignore us at your peril. 
That's a great point because let's say that they can work out some uh, compromise on Steve Scalise or you know, Jim Jordan. All I don't, I don't think that would work. But let's say it is Scalise, and they they find they say, okay, we're going to let you have it. Um, he is going to be in the same sort of position that Kevin McCarthy is. Every single vote, every single action, he's going to be worried about what happens with the Freedom Caucus, and and again, it, it will be an inability to govern, and that is the point, right? The idea is that you want to uh, undermine the deep state. You want to do everything you can. You know, Washington is the problem. This group has no faith in the value of government. So uh, it's, it's again, it's completely a completely irresponsible view to take as a legislator. But absolutely, whoever comes after Kevin McCarthy, which I think as each day goes by, the odds increase that it's going to be somebody other than McCarthy. They're not going to be any any better of a position. It doesn't solve any of this chaos. We need to take a break. When we come back, I want to talk to you about what a possible Steve Scalise speakership would look like. I'm speaking with uh, political science professor William Muck. We're going to be right back after this. Need a new social media account to follow for progressive politics? WCPT 820 is your best source for both progressive politics and programming. Give us a like on Facebook and a follow on both Twitter and Instagram. Information is power. Stay informed to know what's going on. Staying informed gives me the power of knowledge. I wake up. I need to know what happened. I turn on the radio. Because information is power. WCPT 820. Where facts matter. Don't turn that dial. A dangerous mistake to make. Jonas Esposito. Live, local, and progressive. Returns right now on WCPT 820. I am joined by political science professor William Muck. He is with North Central College in Naperville. He also co-hosts a political podcast called Politics Lab. We are talking about what is going on in the House of Representatives and in the Republican Party in general. Uh, the ninth ballot has concluded. Hakeem Jeffries once again getting 212 Democratic votes. Kevin McCarthy getting 201 and uh, 20 other votes going to various other people, one person voting uh, present. And that, um, I'm sure, is going to get the McCarthy group to try to get an adjournment. They're hoping that Kevin can uh, sway some hearts and minds, if only he can meet with them like he did last night. And we thought maybe there was going to be some movement today, but no, so far, no. Let's go back to the phone lines. Dave is calling in from Oak Park. Dave, you're on with me and Professor William Muck. Go ahead. Yeah, thanks for taking my call. Happy New Year. One of the questions I've got, it's it's puzzling me, is McCarthy's been uh, supposedly making concessions to this group of hardliners, and it seems like it hasn't done them any good. It seems like they're just dealing in bad faith. And so at what point, I mean, I think about the ghost of LBJ, like just banging heads together like coconuts. And why (laughs) is this allowed to happen? I mean, they're dealing in bad faith. I mean, he's I'm looking for an explanation there. It's just crazy. Well, I don't have one for you, but maybe Professor Muck does. (laughs) William? 
Well, let's, let's, it's, it's a really important question. Let's think a little bit about what the party has done over the last couple of years. And I mean, think about a seat like in Wyoming where Liz Cheney was. Um, you know, Kevin McCarthy, uh, supported the challenger to Liz Cheney. Um, Kevin McCarthy, I bet he really wishes he hadn't done that. Uh, you know, I mean, cause you, when you think about all those individuals who he voted for that were sort of the MAGA representation, these more extremist voices, that's who's coming back to haunt him right now. So it's, it's a strategy the Republican Party has embraced to say, we're going to support Trumpist candidates. We're going to allow them to run. Um, you know, the party could have made a choice a few years back to say, we're going to try to move away and we are not going to endorse uh, candidates who embrace this sort of extremist ideology, who are so, so extreme anti-government, and that will make our job easier when we start to govern and legislate. But but when you support candidates like this, you shouldn't be surprised when they behave the way in which they campaigned, right? Sort of the attacking government, attacking deep state, attacking everybody around them. So it's a problem that the party created, and I think it's going to take some years before they slowly start to weed some of these voices out. Thanks for the call, Dave. I hope that uh, gives you <laughs> some kind of an answer. Before we went to break, um, we talked about the possibility of uh, a, a new party, a Steve Scalise coming in and being able to bring the Never Kevins and uh, into the fold while still not really upsetting those who wanted to see Kevin as speaker. I have a question before we get into like the philosophy of Steve Scalise, but just from a um, rules standpoint, we've talked about how Kevin McCarthy is behind the scenes um, making all these deals with the radical Republicans about loosening up a lot of the rules about how the business of Congress is conducted, basically taking some of the power that has traditionally been kept by the speaker and giving it all or much of it to individual members. If Steve Scalise emerges as the candidate that everybody can get behind as there would be no reason to think that he would be bound by any deals that Kevin McCarthy made, wouldn't all of these groups have to start negotiating again with Steve Scalise to see what kind of power he would allow them to have? Absolutely. Now, the only way that that might not happen is if Kevin McCarthy said, I'm willing to step away and I'm willing to pass pass the torch to, to Scalise under these conditions. Um, so it's possible that that could be part of the negotiated solution to say where, where McCarthy says, I, I realize it's not going to be me, but if it's going to be Scalise, it's going to be under these conditions. And if Scalise is smart, he would be very attuned to that to say, let's let's get as much of this power back in the speaker role as possible, because if Steve Scalise uh, steps in and and he agrees to the the one vote uh, to. To, to vacate the the speaker role, he, he's going to be completely uh, powerless, right? So it's, it's one of these sort of interesting things. Like he either has to negotiate a new deal with with the the Freedom Caucus, or he's got to get McCarthy to say, "I'm willing to step away and help you in that process." So, but you're right; it doesn't get any easier for the Republican Party or whoever comes next. I mean, you think about this is really a terrible, terrible job, and there are very few people in the Republican Party right now who would be good at it, and and one who might be again. Who again is 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 McCarthy because he has that skill set of he knows a lot of people. Uh, apparently, he's good on the floor, sort of engaging people in ways that like Jim Jordan wouldn't be. Uh, and so, when you think about who's next in line. 
there isn't a long list of people who would be good at that job of speaker. So the Republican Party is really stuck here. They either, you know, move past Kevin McCarthy and then they go to a lesser candidate or they go with like a complete wild card with somebody like Jim Jordan. So they are they're in an awful position and it's not going to get better anytime soon. Let's go back to the phone lines. Uh, Paul is calling in from Seattle, Washington. Paul, you're on with me and Professor William Muck. Go ahead with your question. Uh, yeah, thank you. Good, uh, good afternoon, John. Uh, so I, I think, first, my, my observation is about why this happened. And I think this is happening to the Republicans because of simply it, it, it's a, um, a result of uh, the kinds of uh, things like gerrymandering and other uh, proxy bodies of our government, like um, that, don't require uh, absolute majorities to be in the majority, and that the, they're not. The Republicans are not fighting with each other over differences in policy. This is this is just down to think, think, just plain old ancient Rome power, and uh, I think that they they never really won. Millions more people voted for Democrats in the Congress than Republicans. But once again, Donald Trump never won, really, not in terms of the people's vote. This whole, this whole party movement never won, and so they have nothing to do with scrap, but scrap it out with each other over power. Now, having said that, my question is, and I don't hear any pundits suggesting this, that could not the Democrats simply co-opt the gerrymander by saying, make, make Kevin McCarthy be their boy? And just say, listen, we can put you in there, but we have deals. Even though the Democrats are in the majority, they can essentially make him a puppet speaker for the Democrats by saying no investigations. There's not going to be any kicking Democrats off committees. There's not going to be any messing with the death ceiling. And you move one false move and we are out of here on you, brother. And we will leave you to the jackals that are your party. So. Why why haven't people thought of that already? William? You know, I, I would love to be a fly on the wall and, and to know whether there, those questions have been asked. So has McCarthy mm-hmm. reached out to Jeffries and others to say, is there a way to move forward on this? You know, it is it is more difficult for Republicans to do that after Trump when when he spent so much time demonizing the Democrats. So it's one of those things where if he tries to do that, um, you know, he is, again, negotiating with the enemy. But I would love to know whether there was at least on this on this issue to say, did he reach out to the Democrats and to say, hey, um, I'm willing to to talk about seats on committees and whatnot if you get me this position of speaker. Or if the Democrats, if he reached out and, and Jeffries is like, nope, not interested, right? Because you can see the Democrats are loving every single vote when they're, you know, their party is in lockstep and the Republicans are in chaos. So, you know, I, I think the, the Democrats are also enjoying watching this all play out, knowing that it is uh-huh. going to absolutely help them in the next presidential election and the next congressional election, right? I mean, these sort of things linger when when a party is seen as just chaotic. So, I, I, but again, I would love to know what the, on the inside the, the Democratic elite is really thinking about all this. Well, you know, I spoke to Jan Schakowsky yesterday and she said, you know, if Kevin McCarthy was smart, he'd pick up the phone and he'd call Nancy Pelosi and he would say, what do I do? How do I get out <laughs> yes. of this? 
Um, but last night uh, when he gave a press conference, a reporter asked Hakeem Jeffries if there was anything Democrats could do. And he said, you know, we're here. We're in the business of governing. We're ready to get down to business. It is not our job to save Republicans from themselves. So uh, it didn't sound to me like there had been any, any outreach in uh, in that department. Um, I think Kevin McCarthy to... is between a rock and a hard place. I think that's absolutely right. And then you have to wonder, I think there are like 18 districts that that, that Republicans won in 2022 uh, that Joe Biden won in 2020. And, and so you have to think about those swing districts. They have to be those those Republicans have to be really nervous about what happens in 2024. So are those potential moderates where they could work with the Democratic Party? And again, I, I think it's unlikely, but we are in a, in a again, unprecedented situation. It's been over 100 years since we've seen this kind of dysfunction in terms of selecting a House speaker. It shouldn't be this hard, Joan. It shouldn't. Or, you know, even if there were these divisions, you know, why didn't they get this worked out ahead of time? This election for speaker has been on the calendar. They knew this day was coming. By all accounts, you know, Kevin McCarthy was doing his best to win people over. But Kevin McCarthy had to know going into it that that he was going to get this kind of pushback unless and I'm sorry that I I don't think this is out of the realm of possibility, you know, unless people like Lauren Boebert and Matt Gates were being dishonest with Kevin McCarthy and were telling him that he had a shot. You know, maybe they wanted we know we want they want the chaos and the attention. Maybe they also wanted the public humiliation. God knows anything is possible. We need to take a quick break. We're going to take more calls and um, continue talking about this right after a quick break. Because facts matter. You are listening to WCPT 820. This is Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. Professor William Muck teaches political science at... Uh, the uh, oh, geez, good God, I just have blinked on on everything at North Central College in Naperville. <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm I'm I, as I get older, multitasking becomes a little trickier and I'm trying to keep an eye on C-SPAN and what is going on. And I'm trying to keep an eye on the callers. And I think I've maxed out. William, you may have to take over the show. Um, it could be it's the William Muck show. Just- yeah. <laughs> I was just doing the same thing. I was just trying to see if they were going to move to a 10th round of voting. And yeah, yeah, just, no. Or are they trying to adjourn? About- what are they doing? <laughs> yes. <Yeah. laughs> Let's go back to the phone lines. Brian is calling in from Kankakee. Hello, Brian. You're on with me and Professor Muck. Okay, well, then let's go to George, who's calling in from the south side. Hey, George, how are you today? Thanks for joining the show. Oh, thanks for having me, and uh, good afternoon to you and the professor. Uh, One of the things that annoys me about discussions among just normal, average, everyday folks and some of what you hear on call-ins and stuff is, quote, the two-party system doesn't work. We really need a third party, blah, blah, blah. And I try (laughs) to point out that if the Democrats and the Greens had fully joined since 2000, we'd be living in an entirely different world. But the Greens absolutely insist on having their little party, and it's cost a lot of Democrats their their seats. Now we have truly three parties in the House. We have the Democrats, we have the moderately sane Republicans, 
and we have the totally insane Republicans. Those 20 are a third party right now. And how well is that working? Obviously, answer, it is not. We're stuck with a two-party system until the Constitution gets amended, which is going to happen, you know, never, not in our lifetimes anyway. And this, this should be a lesson to everybody when they start wishing for a third party. To be honest, George, when um, when Adam Kinzinger and Liz Cheney were kicked to the curb, I was kind of hoping that they would start a third party so that there would be a party like the Green Party who could do to Rep- mainstream Republicans what the Green Party has done uh, in some Democratic uh, elections. But uh, but instead, uh, Mr. Kinzinger is apparently going to be on our television screens, he's decided to be a senior political contributor to CNN. Um, let's ask the professor about that. When, when maybe not Liz Cheney, because she really was trying to hang in there till the bitter end, but Adam Kinzinger kind of just said, you know what? I'm, uh, this is not who I want to be. This is not why I wanted to be an elected official. I, I really thought that he might try to get the moderates to come together under his banner. Were you kind of surprised that he seems to what he seems to be doing is sitting things out until the crazies get washed out or maybe just completely take over of the party that he left? What do you what do you think about that? Yeah, I think that's right. I think he's going to sit back and wait and hope the party returns to him because, you know, even though we, we talk about the, the majority of the Republican party, the 200 or so that are voting, uh, for Kevin McCarthy right now, they, they still are an extreme political party when we think about measuring this in kind of the broad history of the Republican party. There's still a huge number, what, 150 of them are election deniers, right? So it is still not a moderate centrist Republican party. So, you know, the Liz Cheney's and, and the Kinzigers, I think what they're going to do is wait and see t- what happens with Trumpism. I think if we're talking about a third party, the more likely scenario is if the Republican Party doesn't nominate Donald Trump, he will run as an independent, right? I think that's a, a, a more likely scenario. If the party is able to finally, you know, remove Donald Trump from the nomination process, he will likely try to stick it to that party uh, and be a kind of Ross Perot type figure who will siphon votes away from the Republican. Party. So that's that's the problem. When you embrace populism, when you embrace demagogic candidates, it's hard to get rid of. It's hard to get that out of the party. It lingers for for election cycles. So so I think Kinzinger and and others are probably going to sit back and wait and hope that this resolves itself. And then if they're young enough, then reemerge and try to say, okay, let me not re-embrace this new party. You know, um, there have been those who said that if what you just described happens that Donald Trump is the kind of guy who would basically just try to burn it all down, that he part of the reason people are saying that Ron DeSantis is playing his cards close to the vest is that he knows that Donald Trump will attempt to savage him uh, because I think Donald Trump is not the kind of guy like an Al Gore who says, you know, I'm going to suck it up for the good of the country. It's all about Donald Trump. And also the other thing that worries me is I think Donald Trump is at his most charismatic when the deck is stacked against him, when, you know, when he has nothing to lose. And if I were Ron DeSantis, I'd be thinking long and hard about what it's going to look like for somebody like that to come after me. Do you think he'll try to burn it all down if he's not the nominee? 
Of course, right? I mean, because Donald Trump is not committed to the the democracy or good governance, right? I mean, it really is. It is a sort of you know narcissistic view of government and and Donald Trump. So yeah, if he were not nominated for the Republican Party, I fully expect he would run against Ron DeSantis. And I think your point is so well taken. Think back to 2015 when the Republican primary is playing out, and Donald Trump was facing off against what it was a 16 or 17 different candidates. He was at his best when he was just attacking and. Tearing people down. Um, and I, I, I bet DeSantis is really worried about that type of scenario. If you have multiple different debates and Donald Trump is in those debates, he is going to eviscerate uh, DeSantis on the debate floor. I mean, DeSantis did, didn't do very well in the most recent uh, Florida governor debates. You know, he's he's not very good at that. And Donald Trump is very good at attacking. Right. So I, mm-hmm. I think that, yeah, Donald Trump will do anything that serves his own political agenda. Right. Which is is, is getting power staying out of jail and whoever is in the way, whether it's a Democrat or whether it's DeSantis and the Republican Party, Donald Trump is not going to care about that. Right. That's a really dangerous place for a political system to be. One of the commentators uh, I read wrote that this is somebody much more familiar with Florida politics than me. They said the only people who believe that Ron DeSantis has a real shot on the national stage are people who have never heard or been around Ron DeSantis. They said that, you know, whatever it, whatever charisma exists in the world, he's got like negative that, <laughs> that he, he just, you know, it, maybe he uh, paints a pretty picture if you just take a still. You know, I've heard some of the Republican donors feel that he's like a JFK. He's got the young, beautiful wife and the beautiful children. It's JFK all over again. And people are like, have you been to his have you been to his speeches? You know, uh, oh, yeah, and that's, by the that's way, absolutely right. Yeah, because you think about it. The, the format that he, he, you know, running in Florida is different than running a national election. You have to have a big team. You have to be dynamic. Uh, you have to win over a variety of different voters. And it's not clear that that is his skill set. And, and when we think about the primary process, there's always those early candidates that seem invincible and quickly fade away. You know, Jeb Bush, right? Everybody figured Jeb Bush was the, mm-hmm. the, the absolute winner. And, and once he got on the national stage, he wasn't up to it. And so I think there's, there's some real questions to, to ask about whether DeSantis can handle that kind of heat. Um, it's really hard running for president. And that's why you get only a few that can kind of rise to the top. And it's, it's again, it's not clear whether he has that skill set. The sound you hear in the background is me thumping my head against my desk. We are now <laughs> going for a 10th vote. We are. I think the, now the Republican plan is to exhaust as many people as possible so that eventually uh, maybe they agree to adjourn. I just saw the vote total for nine, and it looks like somebody's already bailed. It was 212 for Hakeem Jeffries, the usual 20 voting for other candidates, one present, and only 200 for Kevin McCarthy. So somebody has apparently packed their bag and uh, and left the auditorium. Um, but well, we're doing the same thing again, folks. And you were talking about this in your in the previous hour. The the fact that C-SPAN is and, and the networks are able to see all of this and see all the angles. It is it's sort of extraordinary in terms of watching democracy up close. And it's 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 chaotic, but it is it is a view of the process that we never get to see. Mm-hmm. And um, are they just now? Uh, I I've blanked on her name. The woman who's head of the Progressive Caucus. 
Um, she's sitting with Matt Gates, and they are deep in conversation. Because, you know, yesterday, AOC was caught on camera talking yes. to Paul Pr- Pramila Jayapal. That was who uh, was talking to Matt Gates. Yeah, okay. uh, AOC talked to Matt Gates, and she talked to Paul Gosar. And she had to appear on cable news last night to explain that behavior. <laughs> oh, my God. And now I'm I'm sure uh, Pramila Jayapal will be on cable news later being questioned about what were you talking about? And, you know, AOC was like, you know, we're we were talking. They were talking basically about housekeeping things, you know, like we're going to adjourn. How many votes? Democrats, what are we going to do? You know what you would imagine they would be talking about. You know, they're they're not making dinner plans. I guarantee you that. Absolutely. And it is it is actually valuable to have members of Congress all in the same room talking. I I think if there was more of that, it would it would lower the temperature. It would make it a little bit more difficult for some of the the sort of demonization that takes place. So, no, I, I like to see them talking and seeing each other as human beings. Well, there you go, being all bipartisan again. <laughs> Good God. You know, you're like a man from another era. <laughs> Political scientist, Joan, we like to kind of you know step away from it. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Realistically, though, I mean, if if this is, let's hope, the bottoming out of the chaos in the Republican Party, do you think they can get their act together as quickly as 2024? Or is this going to take years? Is this ship going to take years to right itself? I think I think we're looking at years because my guess is we're looking at a the next two years in the House is going to be absolute chaos because we're what we're seeing now is just going to continue to play out over and over and over again. It's going to you know, Donald Trump is still going to be around for 2024, which means those dynamics are still there. Trumpism is still center stage, even if the party doesn't ultimately select Trump. So I think this is going to this is going to take a while. And and so one of the callers mentioned this idea of gerrymandering. We're still in a system where this sort of extreme extremism in the party system is rewarded. So if you're mm-hmm. not devout enough, if you're not extreme enough, you're going to get primary. So I think we're looking at, you know, it's going to take a while for this to sort of work its way out. And I think part of it, Trump has to go away, but the ideas have to be demolished, right? This, the sort of the, the populism, the demagoguery, the dangerous demonization, there has to be a reckoning where we say those are dangerous ideas, right? You know, dabbling with fascism, that has to be squashed before you can have a more, you know, ideological Republican party return again. I, I, I think that's what it's going to take. I think, sadly, that you are absolutely correct. I mean, we didn't get here overnight. We didn't get here in the space of a few months. This has been building for quite a while now. And I don't know how the people who were watching this happen in the Republican Party, I I don't know how they could imagine it. this would work out any other way. But here we are getting nominations for the same candidates And we are going to be uh, seeing a 10th ballot for Speaker of the House. Um, No indication that anything is going to change. And um, I think that we'll just have to wait till everybody gets tired and wants to go home. But, um, Mm -hmm. Professor, thank you so much for being here. It is a delight to talk to you. And I have a feeling we're going to have to have you back like every week. (laughs) I always enjoy it, Joan. Thanks so much for the space. Thank you. 
We are going to take a break from news. We are going to um, shift gears a little bit. We are going to uh, talk to the League of Women Voters when we come right back after this. Did you know you can text Joan at the same number you used to call us? 773-763-9278. Thanks to our texting sponsor, Camp Kupugani. Register today at multiculturalcamp.com. Text away, 773-763-9278. Information is power. Stay informed to know what's going on. Staying informed gives me the power of knowledge. I wake up. Need to know what happened. I turn on the radio. Because information is power. WCPT 820. Where facts matter. Progressive Commercial Insurance can protect your small business with over 30 coverage options. An easy-to-use mobile app, personalized discounts, and more. Get a quote in as little as six minutes at ProgressiveCommercial.com. Discounts and coverage selections not available in all states or situations. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. We are focusing a little bit, well, maybe more than a little bit, on what's going on today in the House of Representatives uh, as the 10th, 10th vote to try to elect a Speaker of the House is about to be taking place. Uh, no indication that there will be a winner uh, there has not been a winner on the first nine votes. Hakeem Jeffries walking away with every Democrat each and every time, 212. Uh, Kevin McCarthy started at 203 in the early rounds. Then he went down to 201 in this last round. Somebody seems to have gone home for the night because he's down to 200. 20 uh, Republicans voting for various other names and uh, one Republican voting present. Uh, they took a minuscule break after the ninth vote and launched right into the tenth vote. So since nobody's had any chance to really do much chatting, I can't imagine we are going to suddenly get a different result, but we are going to continue on. We have broken the record. There were nine ballots cast in 1923 before a speaker was elected. We are again, as I said, on the tenth ballot. We are, however, far from the record. In 1855, there were 133 ballots, 133 votes before Nathaniel Banks finally was elected speaker. We have been focusing on what is going on nationally, but as we have told you repeatedly, there are local elections on the horizon, February 28th in the city of Chicago. There is um, that vote. There is potentially a follow-up vote on April 4th. There's lots, lots going on. And who better to talk to about that than the League of Women Voters? Allison Hout is the president. Kathy Kenny is the vice president and co-chair of voter service at the League of Women Voters for the state of Illinois. Allison, Kathy, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having us. We're so, so glad to be with you. Nice to have you guys here and back again. League of Women Voters is an organization that I love to talk to because you're very involved in politics and yet you're nonpartisan. So it's not like you're here to bang the drum for a particular candidate. So, um, Allison, let's start with you. What do you see uh, coming up? that we need to pay attention to, whoa, let's take a look at not only the elections, but also the issues that you think are going to take center stage in 2023. 
Um, well, yeah, there's a, here we are in 2023, and there's already a lot going on. Um, I, I want to lay the foundation for what we see going forward to repeat something that you said, John, that is so important, which is that the League of Women Voters is a nonpartisan organization, and we do not endorse, support, or oppose any candidate or political party. So when we're looking forward to 2023, we're thinking about um, our mission goals, which are to inform and educate uh, the people of Illinois and encourage them to participate in our democracy in all the ways that are available to them. And and our organization does that um, with a lot of grassroots work. We have over 3,500 members who um, are spread across our state in 42 uh, separate local leagues. We go from top to bottom and side to side um, of our state. And uh, we have a league in every congressional district. Um, um, and um, we cover 25 counties um, in, in Illinois. So we're out there doing education for people so that they can be engaged in their communities. And what we're looking for towards as you. Um, pointed us um, 2023 is we've got the election right around the corner and um, and then one uh, following up in May and Kathy can give us a lot of information about that. Real quick before I let you finish though, Allison, I'm not trying to put you on the spot. So a ballpark figure is fine. About how many yeah. members do you have in the state of Illinois? You know, we have around 3,500 members right now. Um, wow. And yeah, so we have a, it's, it's a, one of the things that makes the league so effective in, in helping communities um, um, engage in, in their issues that are important to their community and partake in our democratic process because um, all these members, the majority of them are quite active, um, all volunteers who are um, in the communities uh, raising awareness, registering voters, helping people understand the who, what, where, when, why of the voting process, and and uh, and connecting with our local governments to make sure that we maintain that access um, to our governments and to the vote. Um, so now I will thank you. you. That was a good answer. Now we'll let now we'll let Kathy join the conversation. Kathy. Yeah. Hi, hi, Joan. So we have two elections coming up. One is um, what's called the primary consolidated election, and that is on February 28th, as you've probably been telling your listeners. And then there is a uh, more statewide consolidated election on April 4th. And um, the primary is for um, municipalities who um, choose to have that when they have more than four um, contested, um, more than four uh, candidates in a contested election. So, as you know, the city of Chicago typically has that um, election on February 28th, and they will be um, electing um, or having a primary for um, mayor and aldermen and um, also a new uh, office called um, kind of a police uh, district council. So um, the main consolidated election is April 4th for most of the municipalities in the state. But in the Chicagoland area, they consider the February 28th election kind of their their real election. And then if you if for certain candidates, if they don't get um, 
more than 50%. They roll into the April 4th election, which has happened before for um, Chicago mayoral elections, as you probably know. For the February... For the February 28th election, when um, when will your informational materials be available or are they available now? Well, they're not available yet because we, we are um, constricted by the um, election date. So, um, the, um, you know, the election board date. So when candidates are final, then we can start researching and getting the candidate information up onto our Illinois voter guide. Um, we as we've talked about in prior, um, when we've been on before, um, we have an Illinois voter guide that um, attempts to uh, cover all of the elections um, statewide and all of the races statewide. And for this election, we will be try we'll be covering both the February 28th and the April 4th elections with our Illinois voter guide. And we will uh, um, provide the ability for a can or for a uh, voter to make a plan to vote. And that includes registering, applying for a ballot, um, finding a drop box for their ballot, um, finding out where to vote in person. And then also we attempt to get as much information as possible about every candidate, every race we're covering and every candidate um, so that the voter can educate themselves not only about where and when to vote, but how to vote and who to vote for um, by uh, looking at all of the candidates um, and for a race um, and all the information we can gather about them. So you know, um, it, a while ahead. ago, I would not have asked this question, but in the wake of seeing uh, George Santos uh, seated as a member of Congress, um, I know that a lot of times organizations will send out questionnaires uh, to candidates. You know, what's your position on this? What's your position on that? Um, does anybody from the League of Women Voters uh, do any vetting to make sure that claims that candidates make are actually accurate? Since we all seem to have done a terrible job vetting George Santos, the man who was recently elected to Congress, and basically everything about him is a lie. His family story, his work history, his educational uh, resume, uh, it's it's kind of well, it's a it's embarrassing for all the political groups. It's embarrassing for the news media. Um, how do we make sure nothing like that happens in the state of Illinois? Well, I don't know that we as a league can determine and vet what someone's um, college degree was or or, you know, we we gather our information from the candidates website, from their um, social media um, and we attempt to put that information out to the public. That is a, a great reason to follow the Illinois Border Guide, is you can look at what that candidate is saying about themselves and get that out to the public. And um, hopefully the public then um, recognizes or someone in the public recognizes whether that's a lie or not. Um, we um, Or false information, I guess. Um, we do send out a Q&A. Um, to as many candidates as possible about their particular the issues that they're running on, but we are not questioning whether their um, their resume is accurate or not. It's really um, it's it's really astounding and and extraordinary. Um, apparently, there was one Long Island small publication that printed an article and said, you know, this guy really is a fraud and. 
not one major news organization picked it up. I, I was told by somebody that, you know, uh, opposition research done by the Democrats turned up a lot of this stuff. But for some reason, um, in the election, they they chose not to use it. It just uh, kind of shakes yeah, your faith it, in the system a little bit. You know, one of, the, one of the tools we use besides the Illinois Border Guide to educate voters, and we really are educating them to um, make their own decisions about a candidate. One of the tools we use is a candidate forum. And we, um, like Allison said, we have um, we have leagues in all 17 congressional districts in Illinois, and we held many um, candidate forums, um, and those can be found on our website um, during the midterms. And then we we hold um, candidate forums for school board and for um, for uh, mayor and all of the municipal elections that we can as well. And that's an opportunity for the public to submit questions to those candidates ahead of those forums um, to ask mm-hmm. those type questions and to get. And so these forums are very nonpartisan. We invite all the candidates. Um, we hope they'll all attend. And we ask questions about issues and uh, give the candidates an opportunity to tell the voters who they are and what they're about. And we give the voters the opportunity to ask questions um, of those candidates. So that's another tool in which we can um, inform the voters who this candidate really is. I'm joined yeah, by you know, League of... Oh, go ahead, Allison. I was just going to say, I would just add to that, you know, when a candidate candidates are running for office, they're, they're basically applying for a job. Yeah. And so the, the power of the of the candidate forum, which is a, a standardized League of Women Voters format um, following specific rules that apply the same way to everyone always, is, you know, they're coming there to present themselves and the people who are hiring them, uh, that their constituents have the opportunity to ask them questions. And that is when, um, you know, the constituents um, or the potential constituents of that person, should they be elected, um, can ask those kinds of questions of each of the candidates and hear their unfiltered answers, you know, in this in this live back and forth during a forum. And, you know, we've recently um, won a thankful note of the pandemic was to encourage all of us to use um, virtual connections to our advantage. And so, so many more people can um, take part in and view our candidate forums now um, because they are available um, virtually and um, and then recordings are made available afterwards. So this is gives the the voter great access to information about the people that they are considering electing to office. We are talking to Allison Hout and Kathy Kenny with the League of Women Voters Illinois. In addition to informing voters about candidates, they also keep an eye on certain issues. Um, one of the issues that they're keeping an eye on is the U.S. Supreme Court's uh, consideration of the case Moore versus Harper that has to do with redistricting. We are going to talk to them about that when we come right back after this. Podcasts of Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive, are available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and SoundCloud. Just search WCPT 820. WCPT 820, Chicago's progressive talk, where facts matter. Attention, everyone. Don't turn that dial. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive, returns right now on WCPT 820. 
Got to turn my mic on. Talking to Allison Hout and Kathy Kenny with the League of Women Voters, Illinois. They are always putting together candidate guides before an election, but they also keep an eye on issues as well. One of the things that the League of Women Voters is keeping an eye on is a Supreme Court case called Moore versus Harper that may have an awful lot to do with um, our voting in the in the future. Um, Allison, you want to start with this? Um, yeah, thanks, Joan. It is a really um, an important case that that could have um, far-reaching effects on how our democracy works. This case was heard by the Supreme Court just this past December seventh, um, and it, it it comes out of the situation where the uh, legislature in North Carolina asserted um, that state legislatures have exclusive power over um, redistricting, and um, the what this is the, the large concern, the overarching concern about about this case is that if if that is held, that um, it would disrupt our system of checks and balances in our government. You know, our, the Constitution framers intentionally set up a system of checks and balances to prevent any one branch of our government from becoming too powerful. And um, the ruling in that direction would um, would be extremely uh, disruptive to our election processes as well as redistricting and other democratic processes. Sure. When you think the process has been unfair or is unconstitutional in some way, if you can't put it before a judge and have a ruling or have something thrown out, then you are essentially giving those states pretty much carte blanche, aren't you? Yeah, exactly. There's no the the, the very clever system um, to make sure that the three branches, um, no one could be more powerful than the other. It was completely disruptive. And the, the amicus brief that the League of Women Voters of the United States and the 50 um, state leagues filed um, looks directly towards that part of how disruptive that would be to election processes themselves. Um, we don't want to be in a situation where there are different sets of rules that apply to elections for federal offices and state offices um, when those are all happening, you know, in your same precincts when you go to vote. It would be um, make administering an election, which is already a complex process, but very well handled, um, uh, it impossibly complex. So we want to be able to protect the voters' right to be able to show up at the at their precinct or receive their ballot in the mail and be able to follow one set of directions to to participate in that election. I know that the League of Women Voters is nonpartisan, but I also know that you research a lot of the issues. So in a case like this, would you simply research what's going on and present people with what you found? Or would the League of Women Voters go so far as to perhaps um, have lawyers file an amicus brief on their behalf? Would that be crossing a line? No, you know, actually both of those things happen in these situations. So that the League of Women Voters um, stands by a set of positions that, that, they help, that we hold that are all um, research-based following a specific process about how we examine an issue and, and decide if we want to come to a position on it. And we would only there, then, then act on an issue, advocate in a certain way, if 
it has been researched and we have have a position um, in our organization. And so then that would lead to the filing of a brief like we did in this particular situation. Exactly. Mm-hmm. What else, um, Kathy, what else are what other issues, whether they're hyper local or statewide or national? What other issues are you guys looking into? Uh, well, I am voter service um, chairman, and so by our own policy, I don't get involved in um, on issues. Um, so should we throw uh, this ball back to Allison? The <laughs> I can say I, can, I get involved in things that affect the um, election law, but I, I won't uh, get involved in other issues. So I am throwing that back to Allison. <laughs> okay, Allison, you're back on deck. Yeah. And we were we were really um, happy to see that that just, um, um, you know, recently just a, a small issue related to elections, which is large for us. But um, the use of voting centers in Illinois is going to be extended, which um, we think is really important. The more opportunities that we can have for people to conveniently cast their vote, uh, the better off we are. Um, you know, other other uh, issues that that we are following as um, at our state level um, and our our national organization is following as well our reproductive health rights um, and 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 gun violence and we have positions on those things and the way that we like to work is that um, we're very respectful of um, our sibling organizations that um, are the leaders single focus organizations the leaders on these issues and we want to be strong allies to them um, as we as we work to help um, move those issues forward in a direction that that protects um, people's rights, mm-hmm. so allyship is, is is really important for us. Yeah, absolutely. And I've noticed that um, the League of Women Voters for some of the events you've been doing, you've been partnering with some of the indivisible groups and and some of the other uh, activist groups. Um, and Kathy, would that as 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 put somebody in charge of, of voter service, would that be uh, something that would be on your plate? Staying in touch with local groups that have to do with issues in voting and voters. I, I stay in touch with groups that are um, advocating for civic engagement. So mm-hmm. from my standpoint, I stay in touch with other organizations that are also trying to increase voter turnout and uh, get people to the uh, to the voting booth. Um, for instance, um, we are partnering with an organization called Access Living um, that is um, uh, that provides um, uh, education about dis- the disability communities. First, so for instance, they are holding a forum, for a mayoral forum on January 7th um, from 1 to 2.30. It's a hybrid event um, for the uh, mayoral um, race, and we are partnering with them on that. And um, that's um, an, a great way to educate the voters about the mayors in this election. Um, so those type things. Um, we've uh-huh. also partnered with coalition members during the, um, the um, COVID. Um, there was the big push for vote by mail. So that's when we partnered with a lot of other organizations to figure out how to get information to um, especially within statewide, but especially within the Chicago community about how to vote by mail, how to educate um, voters about that. Um, and, and we put out, I think, over 100,000 flyers to neighborhoods in Chicago to educate them 
Um, but we couldn't have done that without uh, a coalition of organizations that were like-minded in, in turning out the vote. I know we've uh, gone over this before, but if somebody's interested in being a part of the League of Women Voters, how do they join? Well, we welcome anybody. Go to our website. Go- Sorry, Allison. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, we welcome anybody to join. As Kathy was saying, um, you can go to our website, lwvil.org. And um, you can find membership information there, more information about the league, um, issues um, that we do um, have positions on and advocate for, and um, connections to um, all of our election information, which you can also find in that online voter guide, IllinoisVoterGuide.org. Um, uh, so anything from, from uh, learning about what's going on at the league now and where there's a, a league connection near you, um, to, to information that you need from uh, to get your vote cast is at lwvil.org or specifically the illinoisvoterguide.org. So all you need to have is Internet access, and we are connected, the League of Women Voters and your listeners. Thank you guys so much for being here. Let me know when the uh, voting guide for February 28th comes out, and I will certainly publicize it on this show. Really uh, appreciate the work that both of you do. Allison Hout, uh, Kathy Kenny, President, Vice President of uh, the League of Women Voters of Illinois. Thank you. Thank you for your time. I appreciate it so much and the work you do. Thank you. I miss Jones. We're going to take a break and we're going to be back with more right after this. Can't listen to Joan Esposito? Surely you can't be serious. Live, local, and progressive in your car today? I am serious, and don't call me Shirley. Don't fret. You can still listen to her on the TuneIn app on both your phone and computer. Whoa! You feel that right away. It's just refreshing. Your long drive home just got even easier. Driving it home with Patty Vasquez. Now weeknights from 5 to 7 p.m. on WCPT 820. This is Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, happy birthday, happy birthday to you. It is Thursday. Every Thursday, I am joined by Eric Zorn, who writes the Picayune Sentinel. And if I am not mistaken, tomorrow is Mr. Zorn's birthday. Yes, thank you, Eric. Trump and I share a birthday. Um, you know, I'm turning 65, which is which is an interesting threshold to cross. Uh, you know, 60 wasn't tough for me, but 65 is. It, it's like there's no there's no there's no place in America that offers senior discounts that won't offer me a discount now. So I um, know anyway. six when you hit sixty five, you cannot any longer pretend that you are middle aged. <laughs> right. It uh, it doesn't work. Well, that's the this is the la- this is the last day. The, and the other course the other thing about this is that my birthday is January sixth, which is now a day that lives in infamy. It's like oh being born God. on nine nine. 9-11. Oh, it's like it's, my God, Eric. I know. I'm I so sorry. With, with the shaman, with his, uh, with his horns. I've got to, you know. Oh, thing. my <laughs> goodness. By the way, <clears throat> along these lines, uh, just something that I'm going to start. I don't like the term elderly, but I can live with the term olderly. Like, I'm olderly. 
And I think that is much less pejorative. So I'm starting that now for those of us 65 and older. We are elderly people. Elderly. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll give that a try. Um, <laughs> The whole senior citizen thing is kind of getting to me. I gotta say, but you know, better that than the alternative, right? I mean, hey, a lot of people don't. A lot of people don't make it to sixty-five, so I'm, I'm glad to be here and and I'm healthy and still writing the Picayune Sentinel. So, so all could be a lot worse. And congratulations on your milestone birthday. Well, thank um, you. hey. I appreciate it. I, I want to thank you. I, I don't know what motivated you to do this, but when you were talking to, when you filled in on this show and then for the Picayune Sentinel, you asked people to suggest three things that are their top recommendations to other people. You know, I have been looking for a restaurant guide. You know, there's, I, you know, you could look for restaurants with Michelin stars or you could pick different kinds of ethnic cuisine, but you have provided me with the perfect <clears throat> restaurant guide, because so many of the people who um, gave you the, the things that they recommend to other people added a restaurant in, and I want to thank you for that. Well, uh, you, well, thanks for mentioning it, yeah, and thank you for mentioning a restaurant. You mentioned, uh, was it ta- Taco, is that how I say it? Yeah, T-O-C-C-O. Toco. It used to be a Lincoln Park or restaurant, and he pulled up steaks and came to Winnetka, and we so are to speak. the better for it. There are a whole bunch of uh, a, a restaurant that got mentioned twice by various people is, is a place called Virtue in yeah. Hyde Park, uh, which I'd never heard of, specializing in American Southern cuisine. Um, and but that sounds really good, and, se- and several people spoke really highly of that. And these are, you know, it's like you read a lot of reviews and things. It's kind of hard to process them. But when these are people you know and and. You feel like they're also they're, they're they're not compromised. No one is making these recommendations because they've you know their uncle runs the place or something. So, so yeah. Toward it's that good. end, I thought yeah. that um, the news free, screen free, noise free early morning recommendation from Mary Schmeek was just so interesting. I've been thinking about it ever since I read it this morning. Yeah, Mary says that she takes a half an hour after she wakes up just to to uh, stay away from screens and noises and, and other distractions, media in general, I guess, and just kind of enjoy get the day off to a really good start. And I got to say, that is completely not me. I am on my <laughs> computer right away. I'm looking at social media. I'm looking at my email, um, and it it does get your day off to a fairly tense, dramatic start every day. On the other hand. When you're in the line of work that you're in, certainly, Joan, you've, you've got to know what's going on, right? I mean, you, you can't show up at the studio or at the microphone yeah. at 2 o'clock and go like, oh, uh, is, oh, is that going on? I didn't hear, I didn't hear about that. Yeah, what is, they're trying to, elect a, trying to elect a speaker in Washington? Uh, who knew? That's know? probably so. why it appealed to me so strongly, because it is the exact opposite. I mean, the minute my eyes are open, I check the time, and then I go right to either my personal email or my work email and scroll through, see if there are any fires that need to be put out right then and there. I mean, it just, and then it just goes. It goes for me all morning, whether there's always a phone in my hand or a computer in front of my face, um, pretty much till the show starts. Yeah, and I got to say that I enjoy that. I mean, I, I don't. I don't consider it uh, burdensome, uh, but I 
don't have Mary's temperament. Mary is Mary is much more zen than I am. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I mean, I love Mary. She's she's terrific. But <clears throat> but uh, she and I, in terms of our attitudes toward toward news, are, are, is, are is different. She likes to take her time, soak things in. She's not a hot takes. Never was a hot takes columnist. She's always, she was always someone who had a really thoughtful thing to say, and I was always the one who was like just <laughs> trying to get, trying to get something out there. So we made a good team, I thought, over the years. We yeah, absolutely, space. kind um, of a yin and yang kind of a thing. It, it, well, it was it's very know, much that way. Yeah. When I take time off, like I was off, you sent me uh, an email saying, well, are you going to take me to task for this because somebody sent you a note that I was going to yell at you for something? I do. Sometimes when I take time off, I I put a news blackout on. I won't even let Ray talk to me. He'll start to say, well, did you hear? And I'm like, Ray, no, no. And I did. I didn't have when I got that email from you. I had no idea what you were talking about because I had been in a news blackout. Oh, good. Well, then you're not going to you know you're going to tear me a new one. I believe is what the uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, now I'm curious. Now I have to go back and read everything that I missed. Well, you have to go see that. Yeah. No. It was. It, by the way, it was really fun filling in for you last week. I uh, I just I brought in a whole bunch of other people from the media to string me along, and uh, uh, and I the way I got the idea for today's picky and sentinel feature about recommendations was I said, well, let's let's fill up the time. You know, it's like right at the turn of the year. So let's fill up the time here with uh, you know recommendations, things you're telling people they should be doing in 2023, and it was really fruitful. And I, I you know I, I recommend it to you at some point if you got, if you ever got a slow day and you know, think I just call some people and say what are you what are you recommending because people love that. There was really uh, the response I got was really really terrific. Uh, just about everybody I asked, the only person who said well no everybody said yes actually now that I think of it there was the people who who waited a little bit to respond, and you, and of course yours is in there and. Um, it was just really interesting to see what are people watching. I, I, there was a lot of sentiment uh, for South Side, the uh, TV I series. I got to tell you, which, I'd never heard of South Side. Yeah, well, you know, it's I I I, I think maybe that's partly is because we're white people and it's it's more it's more aimed at an African American audience. I think I, you know that's my sense of it. But but that doesn't mean it's not great and that we wouldn't enjoy it completely. So that's that's like on my list now, totally. Um, and I, I had not really, you know, heard that much about it. I certainly heard a lot about the Bear, which is another show shot in Chicago, mm-hmm. and, and that was recommended by several people. But uh, I just, I like to know what people are watching, people who I, who I know and like. What, what are they watching? What are they enjoying? Because odds are pretty good that I will, I will enjoy what they're enjoying too. So, and, and you got a you lot of great I, book yeah, reviews well, as well. You know, you talk I about did. a fun thing for me to do. I used to, you know, it seemed like when I first started this show that news wasn't coming at me like a fire hose every day. And there were times I used to have Elizabeth Taylor from the National uh, Book Review on and, and, and to talk about whether they were political books or issue books or, or, you know, I used to, it seems to me that I used to occasionally have a little more time to talk about things that are culture related. And I think culture is a big part of being, uh, progressive. Um, but it just doesn't seem like there's that time exists for me anymore. However, I do want to I do want to say that um, if you look at the Picayune Sentinel today, there are not only some great restaurant reviews, there are definitely some great book reviews. And maybe I'm prejudiced because most of the books and authors who were recommended are people I've already read, and I can verify that they are indeed good. Um, well, one thing that great- I yeah, it was one thing that I did. I went and I looked at the trailer for the for the TV show that you recommended. The uh, the the it's I think it's it's a Korean the language ex- show. Right? Yes, the extraordinary and, attorney Wu. 
and and I wa- yeah I watched the pr- trailer for it. It looked it looked fascinating. Uh, I really recommend people at least check out the trailer on Netflix. It's if you follow the link that's on the Picky and Sentinel, you can watch the trailer. It looks a little bit. Did you ever watch Ally McBeal? Um, I, I I was working then, so I I caught the stray episode here or there, but I didn't watch it regularly. Okay. But it has that kind of magical realism, I know. Yeah, and, and it has a little bit of that vibe of a, a, a fish out of water. I mean, I can't tell. It was a one-minute-long trailer. But but like I said, it looked really delightful. I'd never heard of it. So that's on my list as well, this uh, this, this show that you recommended. so It's a, uh, it's, it's a it legal is. procedural for those of us who – for those of you listening who've never heard of the extraordinary attorney Wu. It is a legal, legal procedural, but the protagonist – is autistic and not like American TV autistic, um, which I, I don't think generally American television does a great job with autism, but a, a real um, a real true picture of uh, a person with this kind of different ability coming to a profession like that. And it's it's really it's really hits a lot of different um, a lot of different notes and it does it well. Who told you about it? How did you hear about it? Somebody Ray knows has told him that he had to see it, and I I don't know I don't know who. And Ray was like, "We got to try this show," and I was like, oh, "I'll give it a shot." And we were we were hooked. We were we were just hooked. I mean, it's it's uh, inter- interesting stories, interesting puzzles, and it's a it's a show with a lot of drama and a lot of heart. God, I sound like a PR person. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that sounds like a, a pull quote for an ad somewhere. But no, I was I was really really pleased about that. Um, the way that all turned out, and I'm going to probably make it an annual feature now on the on the Sentinel. You should, just, and maybe and maybe broaden out the uh, people who I ask. I just I just sort of went to everybody who I knew, you know, in the media, and said, "Hey, what are you recommending?" And, hey, before um, we go to break, one one weird thing, John Williams. He goes to cryotherapy. This is one of the things he's recommending, that we go into a tank and get partially frozen, and then we're going to feel better. I have a hard time with that, Eric. I did, too, because it says for you walk into a stall cooled to 200 degrees, minus 200 degrees Fahrenheit for two to three minutes. Uh, that sounds extremely painful and dangerous. <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, but I'm, I'm sure it's not that bad because... The place would be sued every day if it were. So, so maybe it's really, really invigorating. I don't even like jumping into cold water after being oh, in a sauna. Oh God, no! So, <laughs> so, so, so this is not for me. But uh, no. But John, John lives life to the fullest, and uh, I, I guess I will, so. Uh, what a what a bold man! Yeah, anyway, very, yeah. Eric and I need to take a break. We're going to be back with more Picky and Sentinel after this. This is WCPT eight twenty, where facts matter. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. On Thursdays, we talk with Eric Zorn about the issue that comes out this morning of the Picayune Sentinel. And I don't know, maybe this was part of my news blackout week again. I was really surprised your item on Chicago Tonight moving to 10 p.m., a move that I do not approve of. 10 p.m. is too late. It's already fractured. We're seeing a news numbers go down, and I can't imagine that that is going to do that show any good. I'm very, very puzzled by that. I do not support this move. 
Well, yeah, I it was first reported in Cranes. I had heard about it on Monday, and because I don't have a, an, an issue coming out until Thursday, I was like hoping no one else was going to report it first. Cranes did it yesterday, but the thing is that Cranes is behind a paywall, so not that many people had heard about it. Uh, and of course, the Picayune Sentinel is not behind a paywall on Thursday, so. I was able to, I think, you know, break the story to a lot of people. And and this show has been around forever. I mean, it's been around for 37 years or something like that. And uh, for the last 35 or so, it's been at 7 p.m. on Channel 11. It's, it's sort yeah. of a news roundup, news magazine show. In 2002, it expanded to an hour. And so it's been running from 7 to 8 since then. And Heather Sharon uh, said yesterday on the Mincing Rascals podcast that, that uh, it was it's low ratings, post-Trump era low ratings that has caused them to try something else, and they're moving it to ten o'clock. I I totally agree. I think that ten o'clock is too late for that. It can, competes with the with well, the uh, regular newscast. People, that you, you don't know this yet because you're not sixty-five yet. But old people like quite. to go to bed early, and I loved the fact that it was right after dinner. You know, um, where I was still awake, <laughs> I still had enough neurons left to process things. I just I and I think it's brilliant that you've compared it to when CBS Channel 2 tried that experiment with Carol Marine. You know, it's going to be a different kind of newscast. It's going to be more in depth. We're going to give you context. And it it didn't it didn't do very well. And I I think that they've carved out a niche for that, but they've carved it out in the early evening and up against the run and gun news programs that people are entrenched watching those of those of them who still do i don't think i i don't think this is going to do their numbers any good personally right i i would agree with that I, and of course uh, the, one of the advantages of being what do you call an an, an old an older older old, citizen whatever we elderly. are elderly i'm elderly elderly to being elderly as we remembered uh, the year 2000 when channel 2 tried this exact kind of the same thing where they put carol on at 10 o'clock uh, uh, and you and i both know carol and she's wonderful and brilliant and, and the newscast she put on was was terrific it had a lot of in-depth stuff it didn't have a lot of car crashes and fires and, um, and she had political analysis she had laura washington on to do commentary it was a very substantive serious newscast it lasted nine months didn't go anywhere in the ratings that viewers at that time of night did not want that um and so the idea that 22 years later now the viewers are going to want that i think is is wrong-headed i wish the show stayed at seven i said the good thing about this is that the, the show is going from an hour to a half an hour and i've always felt that chicago tonight is at its best it's at its sharpest when it's at half an hour, like during the pledge drives, when they have the three tenors or river dance or whatever mm-hmm. they do uh, for the last half hour to try to raise money, they have a half, special half hour version, and it's usually much sharper and harder and, and to the point. And and uh, I, I prefer the half hour, the the, sharp, the the more focused Chicago tonight that you get in half an hour. So so that'll be good. But but ten o'clock, you're right. It's it's uh, it's sort of bedtime, and if you're up that hour, you kind of want a quick run through of what's going on everywhere. Mm-hmm. You, you, I, I think you don't want the kind of end-of-the-day news conference, which, which Chicago Tonight has always kind of been, where they have on the newsmakers and they talk for five – they give them five minutes to explain or to debate. And so you really get a sense of the of the issue. But it's just – I feel like it's the wrong time of day for it. I hope it's not because I really value that show. I think it's one of the most valuable shows that, that's out there. And and I hope it's, this is not a big mistake. I hope it's not a prelude to getting rid of it because – like I said, I, I like that show. I think that they've made a nice transition from Phil Ponce to, to Brandis Friedman and, and uh, Paris Schutz and that team. And, and, of course, Heather Sharon is on the team and Amanda Vinicky. 
uh, the reporters there. They've got some other young reporters whose names I can't think of right now. But they, they've got a really good team in place, and they do good work, and they've even broken some stories. Uh, and I hope that that continues. But I'm worried that at 10 o'clock at night, it's not going to get the audience that it needs. Yeah, and you're, you make a good point about the 30 minutes because I'm – um, I can remember when uh, remember Nightline that started. First, it was a rep- it was going to be a nightly report on the situation with hostages, and then it evolved into Ted Koppel just basically doing a thirty minute newscast, and it was so riveting. And you always felt like, oh my God, I wish this would go for another five minutes. I'd like to hear more. But then when they expanded it to an hour, it lost a lot of that same intensity. And the hour really, really didn't work. So I agree with you about the 30 minutes. But I just, you know, maybe it's because I have so many friends who are leaving local television. It, that is, and, and the audience is so splintered. And the feeling is nobody is watching anymore. And, and to join that crowd, it just seems counterintuitive to me on a lot of levels. Well, do you still watch the 10 o'clock news or are you in bed by that time? Oh, my God. You kidding me? Hell no. <laughs> well, I know. <laughs> I, 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 I did a column a few years ago. I, gave, I used to be a regular Channel 7 watcher. And uh, for years, and then uh, I forget when it was like maybe almost ten years ago now. They their lead story was a story about a wild turkey hitting a windshield on a on an SUV in Indiana. Uh, just it wrecked the car, but it didn't hurt. Nobody got hurt. And so they spent two minutes on this. This was their number one story, their lead story. And I just said, "That's it. I'm done. I, yeah. I'm tuning in. I, w- I want to find out what I need to know for t- you know what I got to be up on for tomorrow." And what I should be thinking about, and it's not wild turkeys running into SUVs in Indiana. That should have been a voiceover maybe at the end of the second or third segment at at most. But you know what the problem is? I can can tell you, I don't know if I've ever told this story on the radio, but, you know, before Don Lemon became a big star at CNN, Don Lemon worked for Channel 5. And he was, I think he was an early anchor reporter, but he was destined, you know, for bigger things. You know, he was going to be the main anchor. And they sent him out on a story. It was a pretty far drive. And he got there and he said, there's no story here. You know, what you sent me to cover isn't the situation. And the situation here isn't worth reporting. And they basically yelled at him and they said, you know, by the time, you know, you're out there, fine, do something with it. Give us something. And he was like, no, I'm not going to put together a non-story just because you've driven me an hour and a half to get here. And it was, um, quite frankly, it was a stand that I admired him for taking. But, you know, it kind of it kind of derailed his career at Channel 5. Um, and, and, where, and where is he now? Where is he so, now? Right? Yes, I know. But, but I mean, um, you ha- when you take a stand like that, you really do put your job and your future on the line. And I can imagine that they sent somebody up. Maybe they thought the turkey story was going to be more visual, more funny, more whatever. But it was like, damn it, you're there. We don't have time to move you anywhere else. We've got to fill this. Do something, you know. And, and sadly, well, that's a lot of what local news is now. 
Yeah, well, of course, they, they ran so many newscasts in a day that they had to have some other material they could use. And they didn't have to put it at the top of the newscast. To me, it was no. like, it was just like, it was just the end. And I find that I don't miss it. That by, by the When I look at, and I got to say, local Twitter is pretty good for following what's really going on in the news. And then mm-hmm. they get up first thing in the morning and read the local papers. And I don't feel like I've missed anything. Uh, yep. So, so uh, and, and this is why I'm concerned about this, this franchise, the Chicago Tonight, uh, moving back in three hours in the schedule because I think that's really a recipe for losing even more viewers and then giving the station a reason to say, look, you know, this is a 37, 38-year experiment, but we're going to put it to to bed now. God, I I hope not. I hope that is not where this is headed. Um, Eric, thank you. Well, I know you'll be keeping an eye on this and you'll be uh, reporting on uh, all the twists and turns when you, especially when you talk on the mincing rascals. Heather joins you on that, doesn't she? She does often, yeah. It, we record that show right in the middle of city council business very often. Oh. So she often has, to, often has to beg off. But uh, Heather Chiron is brilliant, and I love her. So Me too. I hope she, and she, how she continues. Wherever she is, I hope she continues. So uh, That is going to do it for Eric and me. As I said, I got some personal stuff to take care of tomorrow, so I will be back here Monday. Uh, Until then, stay safe. Have a great evening. Patty Vasquez is going to be taking care of you in just a few minutes. Have a great evening. Good night.